What's up, movie fans and Netflix bingers? This is the Bros Who Binge podcast. My name is Adam Schubert, and as always, I'm joined by Lennon Burton. Lennon, how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Can't complain, you know. Chilling, living, dunder mifflin' it up, you know, paper company, doing my thing. But now nah, I've been, I'm doing really well, man. Just this week, I've been watching a lot of comedies. I Like I was telling you off air, I went back and uh, started Broad City from the jump. Been watching Workaholics And like I wanted to start It's Always Sunny Because I miss it so much And I need a new season But the thing is I've watched it so many times That like I know it word for word So I think I need to let Some more time pass Before I start that one But I'm really enjoying Workaholics a lot I really am Yeah um, I have have to revisit A lot of the the comedy stuff Because I haven't been on The comedy bag for a while I've been doing a real deep dive into Star Wars Rebels this week. Just get ready for Ahsoka. And just kind okay. of remembering where we left off with her, pretty much. Okay, um, chilling with Sabine Wren. Yeah, but when it comes to, like, what you've talked about, you know, Broad City, I think, is probably, like, an all-time. Yeah, Broad City's great. Um, but where, like, Workaholics, I remember in the moment being a big fan and, you know, looking back in hindsight, it's just really never something I've wanted to revisit. <laughs> Damn, you're not a fan of of the three homies, Anders, Blake, and the Demamp man, Adam. I f- yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, when it comes to those guys, Adam is really the only person, like, I've ever really cared about a- anywhere else but that show. So I guess, like, and I, even on that show, I don't even think that he's, like, the best person he's not. on the show. So it's like, I just don't know... The side characters in that show might be the best. That's true. But I mean, like, that's like something goes along with the same thing with Always Sunny. I feel like oh, Always no, Sunny has, no. something, has some think, incredible side characters that the, push things along, too. They have some incredible side characters. But the thing is, with It's Always Sunny, you love Mac D. The core, Dennis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas with Workaholics, some episodes, some some of those guys are stronger, some of them are weaker, and some of the times the side characters are just better. It's weird because, like, when I was younger, I was a big Demand fan because, like, you know, just the way he acted. Then, like, college, I became a Blake fan. Right now, I'm, I'm digging the Anders Homevik vibe. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've never... But Montez is the funniest. Yeah, I was just what I'm saying. Yeah, I got, when you said side characters, the first person I definitely thought of was Montez. He was or probably Jillian. the funniest. And Jillian, and, and yeah. We're going to talk about Jillian later in the show, and it just reminded me of her role in Workaholics. I feel like she's sure. the ex- exact same way. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, when I think about that era, I definitely think about Broad City first. I'm not mad and, at that. And really isn't it for Abby Jacobson. I guess the thing, like, oh, yeah, it, no, it was for literally Alana. Alana Glazer just carried the whole freaking show. Her and then the occasional Hannibal Burris. side characters. <laughs> like Hannibal Burris. I loved... Um, Abby's roommate. Oh, uh, Be- what's Bevers. His name? Bevers. Oh my God, he was so funny. <laughs> I liked uh, Ilana's roommate. Jaime. Oh yeah, Jaime, was, Jaime was great too. Jaime yeah. had his own show. Yeah, he did. I don't know if it did well though. It did not. Yeah, didn't it get canceled? Yeah, I think it was on one seasoner. Ooh, poor Jaime. But you know, but we got a lot to get into, man. We got new Mandalorian. We got to talk about. We got to talk Animaniacs. We got some top five director stuff to talk about. Yeah, Lyndon got me back on the, my HBO Max subscription to watch the Fresh Prince reunion. Yeah, so we'll talk about that as well. And the Twitter's verse has been talking 
Cartoon Network cartoons versus Nickelodeon cartoons, and we felt we wanted to comment. Where did that spawn off? I guess we could talk about it later, but like some random dude, everyone talking about that. Some random dude just posts a picture of all of the Nickelodeon cartoons facing off against the Cartoon Network cartoon, and was like, "This is the versus battle we really need." And everybody was like, "I don't think it would be a a, a even matchup," Mm. but we'll talk about it when we get to it. Yeah, I'm, I I think he might be right, but we'll get into that later on. Um, yes, sir. So we got a lot of news to get through and all that, so I'm ready to go if you are. Yeah, I'm ready, man. All right, so let's get started. The Mandalorian spinoff has casted two people in supporting roles. Uh, first, Jordan Bolger, who's most known for his roles in Peaky Blinders and The 100. He's up for the role of Scad, who is supposed to be a supporting character. And then Sophie Thatcher, who we mentioned a week ago, um, who is most known for her roles on the Exorcist TV series in Chicago Med, also in a movie called, I think, Prospect with, um, with uh, Pedro Pascal. So she's familiar with Pedro Pascal. I assume that she still might pop into Mandalorian season three, but she's going to be playing the role of Drash. Mm. So this is for like the Boba Fett series? Or we don't know yet. We don't know. We, we just know it's the Mandalorian spinoff, whether that's the, the Boba Fett series. Um, you know, we've talked about the Bo-Katan Cardoon possibility, which I feel like is fleeting. Yeah, I don't think um, Bo-Katan's getting one, especially after Katie Sackhoff was like, yeah, it's not happening. Yeah, and the other thing that's really curious about all that as well is that Sasha Banks said that she's not going to be in any more episodes this season, mm. and that kind of like makes me worried about that whole, you know, you, you're going to show Bo-Katan, yeah, and then we're just never, never going to go back see. to that. Yeah, I don't know if I buy that. So. I think Sasha Banks might just be... You know, doing the whole I can't talk about it thing. No, I could buy that she's not in the rest of this season, but, like, I feel like you would have to bring her back in season three if you were going to expand more on those Mandalorians. Or it could be that she's never back, but her character is back, whereas the there's someone where... No, you know how uh, Mandalorians wear masks? She just may be in a mask the whole time. Oh, but, I mean, they're the ones that take the masks on and off, so... It just depends on if it's a battle or not. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I feel like if they were going to take her off the show, they'd have to kill her off at this point because, like, we know that she's established. But anyway, yeah. uh, but, but speaking of Bo-Katan, Bo-Katan's going to appear in animated form on the Bad Batch animated series. So When is that happening? Um, I assume they're developing it. I, you know, there hasn't been a nece- necessarily a timetable for it. I assume next year because, I mean, I can't, it can't take them that long. And what is the Bad Batch about? The Bad Batch was the first little trilogy of episodes in the newest season of Clone, oh, Clone Wars. Wars. Yeah, with those guys. Um, with, with like, yeah, those the, clones. Those clones okay. that were like, you know, a little bit different than the other clones. Oh, okay, okay. And, and but the series is supposed to be about them post Order yeah, sixty six. Like, I don't know if that'll be exciting, but we'll see. I'm just I ready to get out of this. Very I'm just, exciting. I'm just ready to get Actually, out of this time period. Well, oh, I mean, I, I'm very excited to hear about what happens with the Bad Batch deal and also now that Bo-Katan's going to be a part of it because what I want to know more so is what happened to Mandalore in the Rise of the Empire, mm-hmm. which we haven't really ex- explored yet. And I feel like that is going to be a big part of that because not only do Bo- Bo-Katan have ties to Mandalore, the clones technically have ties to Mandalore, so is that going to be something that plays in? 
I'm uh, actually you, really intrigued. To are hear you about not that. ready to get out of this time period, though? I'm not ready to get out of any time period. Oh, I'm just ready to get the High Republic. It's time. It's time to move. The books, the books have, are coming out. So. I'm ready for the TV they show was, and movies. That's what I'm. The book, the books will be out. I think in January. So All that's right. pretty exciting. So it's moving, moving along. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool beans. Well, yeah. Cause like, I'm just the clone, the clone era, and just the Luke Skywalker era, Empire era. It's just time, man. It's time. It's time to leave it behind. I know you don't uh, agree, but like it's just as like a, a a normal Star Wars fan, not the not the fanatic, not the super fan like you. Just a I'm I'm not your average everyday movie fan. Like I'll re, I'll watch the cartoons, I'll read a comic here or there. I'm just I need new content from Star Wars that is like fresh and out of the like. That's why I like Mando so much. It's not in that classic time period. It's giving me new stuff that I'm not used to, and it's just like. Yes, that's what I want. I'm, I'm even going back on, like, will this Obi-Wan series work? Like, I'm going back on if I'm hyped for it. Because, like, if they don't show Darth Vader, I don't know what the fuck they're going to do. No, I totally agree with that. I think that they really have to buckle down and create a really great miniseries. Because, like, at this point, you know what? Because, I mean, like, th- there's going to be more questions than answers in this series. Like, you're going to be like, well, this happened all. and like this and this is this. Well, you Oh, you can't. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Because of Rebels. Show Rebels ruined the that. fight. Yep, Rebels ruined that. Like, who are you gonna show? Like the 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 uh, Inquisitors? Like, I don't want to. Well, no. See- I mean, the the thought process is, is that there is a reference in Episode Four. Oh no, for sure. That, that's what I'm saying. Vader is saying Vader, that they've met before. This, so it's got to. It's that's what it's it has not to be. Vader. Then it's pointless. That's that's the only thing I'm getting at. So you know, I'm just. That's just me being a wet blanket on Star Wars, but I'm loving Mando, so you know. Yeah, and the one thing I'd say about the spinoff characters, I think it's cool that they're building up the supporting cast with a younger, younger group. So I'm thinking that, like, let's say it is the Boba Fett series. It's like his young crew. Mm. He's got like a, a new established crew. Yeah, I got um, a cast of uh, hunters with him, unless Jordan Bolger's Cad Bane. I think he's a little young. He is, but CGI, you know. Oh, let, me, let me look at look at him real quick. He nah, kind of has that skinny he's face. He's got, but like you know, CGI him up. You know, he can't. You he won't look like that anyway. They're gonna have to give him eyes and like, they just might like his voice. <laughs> Maybe so. I mean, I really feel like if you're gonna do Cad Bane, like you know, if you're doing Rosario Dawson for Ahsoka, then you're gonna get somebody like for Cad but, Bane. But the thing is, Cad Bane, unlike Rosario Dawson, has very humanoid features. Cad Bane has like the eyes of a bug and like the the nose of like like I don't know Cad Bane's different. Like Ahsoka Tano is human. Like let me look at Cad Bane again. Let me just look. Yeah, he has bug eyes, a fucking snorkels going into his mouth. He doesn't have a nose. Like, nah, bro. Yeah, Cad Bane, this fair game. I'm just saying, if it happens, cool. If not, cool. Well, we already know he's gonna be scad, so. Oh yeah, true, 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 true. You should have stopped me before all of that. <laughs> Whoever, but I see what you're saying because, like, I feel like you know, especially if it's the Boba Fett series, and Cad Bane is, is very, very high chance he makes an appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's move into the trailers. The first one, I don't know if I you watched this one. It I wasn't did. Really I some, watched them okay. all. All right, so Little Fish is. Well, let's start with the big one. Let's start all with right. Chaos Walking. It actually looked good. Chaos Walking looked. I, I was Chaos, interested. 
Chaos Walking looks really interesting. Like, I like that the cast is great. It seems like it's a big sci-fi epic. There could be something that goes forward with it. But what I'm worried about with Chaos Walking is that it meets the same fate that Mortal Engines met. Mm. Where, like, interesting concept, looks interesting in the trailers, but is it going to hit home? Yeah, I see that. No, 100%. Yeah, like, the trailer definitely intrigued me enough to watch it. The question is, does it execute on its delivery, and does it work all the way? No, I like the Mortal Engines comparison. I even got Maze Runner vibes, because it's like a best-selling Maze Runner is a good young, one, adult, yeah. young adult series, so, like, what's it going to be? But this is big kind of for Tom Holland and Daisy, you know. More, more, so, so, more so Daisy, yeah. More so Daisy, because like, Tom Holland has had some success outside of Spider-Man. And with Nathan Drake coming, and with that war movie that just got announced coming, he has a lot of big shit. But I like, feel like if this doesn't work out for him, it could really stain him. No, oh, for sure, for sure. And for Daisy, it's really make or break. Well, it could stain him until Nathan Drake comes, because if Nathan Drake works, then he's okay. Because Devil yeah, All the Time, he was good. We know yeah. about Spider Man, and then he has the war movie. This could just be like how Michael B. Jordan had a uh, Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four, yeah. I mean, yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like, this could be. That's what I'm worried more so for Daisy about. Like, I'm worried that like Tom Holland. This is like his throwaway movie. Yeah. Where like Daisy needs to bank on this movie. Like she has to like kill this movie. Like this movie has she's to. She's like, not getting roles, and like you know, we gotta see like Daisy. I want to see Daisy really keep working. So hopefully so. this works. Um. Now let's talk about Little Fish. Little Fish. I it, guess you're not. It looked all right. I'm kind of really interested in it. I feel like what hinders Little Fish is that it's it was probably planned before the coronavirus. Corona, and yeah, it feels very corona But it feels very corona Especially but since I, people are getting dementia after corona. Oh, is that a thing now? Yeah, you didn't know. Oh, well, this is not the place to talk about that. But yes, that's like a side effect for post-corona. like People can't remember shit. Oh, well. So pretty much like the idea of this uh, movie is that people... How, there's a disease going around that, that takes causes people to start yeah, not yeah. losing their memory. So I, I'm more so interested in this for Jack O'Connell. I think it, this is his last name. And because he's, you know, he's a guy that I followed for a while. He was in that movie Unbroken. He's in well, one of the early seasons of Skins. Really great actor. So I'd love to see this work out for him. It seems like it'd be a, a good dramatic film. Yeah. But I seems don't like know. Oscar bait. Or maybe it, indie, it feels like a little indie, under Oscar bait. Like it could just be festival like darling festival, kind of yeah, that type of stuff. No, for sure, for sure. So yeah. it could be good, but you know, I'm more excited about Your Honor. Yeah, let's get through the the last one movie one real quick. Um, speaking of people who were side characters on Workaholics, Jillian. the Jillian, she now is gonna have her own Disney Plus movie called Godmothered, where she is a coming a, go, a fairy godmother on the come up, but gets her assignment way too late and has ended up being Isla Fisher's uh, godmother, but she's an adult now. So it didn't look bad. Let me say that it did that. not look bad. And it, it felt That's why like I put it in here. It felt like Jillian was playing kind of her workaholic role. She was very similar esque. Like in some like a G version of her workaholics role, and like you know, I didn't think it looked bad though. I thought it looked like very entertaining, more so than I thought with Lady and the Tramp, more so than I thought with like a lot of these other Disney Plus G rated movies. So good for uh, what's this actress name? Because I don't want to keep calling her Jillian, but 
you know, good for Jillian. <laughs> uh, I forgot. I forgot her name. Too. Oh, Jillian. Oh, is her name really Jillian Bell? Yeah, her name is really Jillian Bell. Okay, well, yeah, good for Jillian. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, I'm pretty sure her name is Jillian. Cool. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so she's. It looks that looks like it's gonna be pretty good. Um, and it also looks like it's not super kiddie. Like yeah, it's it obviously look, a kids movie. But it looks it's like an adult, adults can get down with. But it. it looks like something that like if I was forced to watch it, I wouldn't hate it. Yeah, for sure. I'm with you on that. But but talking about something that I think we're both really interested in. And we talked about Showtime honor. last week. Yeah, we talked about yeah. Showtime picking up steam last week. And this is a big series with Brian Cranston. It's a great cast. Uh, we also mm-hmm. see my boy from The Wire in it. Like, it. I'm digging this. Just basically this judge, uh, his son does a hit and run, and or so we think. And basically the judge covers it up with the help of one of his black friends who I assume runs like a gang in the city or like organized is part of organized crime. And then, but the person he kills is the son of a mafia leader. So it starts this big war in the city. It's made by the creators of the night of, so you know, it's going to get dramatic. It even has that night of look to it. It's so I'm excited for it. Yeah. Very, very much so. And um, it's all in new Orleans, which I think is really yeah, exciting. That's what I liked as well too. Um, and they even played into that. Like at first I'm seeing like, Oh, new Orleans is obviously the setting. And then like, they even mentioned like something about, Oh, like this is just what come, happens in new Orleans. I'm like, Oh damn, like this is going to be like some serious stuff, especially for someone who like understands that, you know, at least the political and social structure of new Orleans and thinking that a judge is out here, like fixing, wow. you know, fixing murders and stuff. And like, yeah. even like one of the prosecutor ladies is like, your son is not above the law. <laughs> Brian Cranston's like, I don't give a fuck. I'm doing what I want to do, you dig? And they had, like I said, the cast is great. I'm excited for this. First episode is December 6th, so I will be tuned in. Yes, uh, I'm not sure how exactly I'm going to watch this yet, um, but I'm going to find a way. Oh, yeah, you can use my Amazon if you need or my uh, Hulu. So we will get this going. But next up, as Disney continues to figure out what to do with its Fox properties acquired in the merger, one of the biggest IPs, Deadpool, looks to be gaining momentum. Bob's Burgers veterans Wendy Molnew and Lizzie Molnew Longland will write Deadpool 3 with Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Reynolds set to reprise his role as the wise-cracking Marvel superhero, and it's expected to be R. Good for the Bob's Burgers writers. Good for Ryan Reynolds. And I might as well add this in right now. With this being rated R for Marvel, this shows that they're not afraid to tap into that. It's also being rumored We're right gonna now. We're going to touch on that, right? Yeah, I might as well just talk about one of the rumors. It's also rumored right now that Disney Plus will add an 18-plus section, and this will fall right under that, which we think Disney Plus needs, especially if the corona pandemic continues and they have to make more content and they have to transition more to streaming. There's no way you can just have a kid's streaming service and expect adults to continue to pay for it that don't have kids. Exactly. You know, I, yeah, I think that it's definitely the right move. How, how they're going to go about that, I guess, is the question. Like, is yeah, how they're stop protected? From, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be weird. Because, like, Netflix has the same feature, pretty much, where, like, you can create, you know how, like, you can do your different names. You yeah. can make a name, and it's only the kids' stuff. Mm. So, like, maybe that's what they're going to do, but, like... That can't for, stop kids from watching, if they choose to. It, it just depends, because, like, you know, let's say, you know, 10 and under kids, like, if they 
all they do is go up to their room and it immediately goes to like Netflix or whatever. And they're not really like, but it's hard for me to say because kids nowadays are so tech savvy. They probably like know how to boost through all the profiles and all that. But like, I'm Bro, thinking I would about choose me my mom's I profile. Age. I would choose my mom's profile so but, fast. But what I'm saying is, is like, you know, maybe they won't really understand. Like if, if it's set up for you, yeah. then you kind of just go to go it. To, yeah, and you don't even like think about it. True. So, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, maybe that's the case for that. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe, yeah, we'll see. But good for Disney Plus. Hopefully, yeah, I agree. I think they have to as well. And I'm glad to see Ryan Reynolds. This is the start of the X Men. So, hopefully, they add Marvel stuff to this and don't just keep it going with like the M the Fox X Men universe because that won't. No, here's here's what I heard is a po- not a possibility, but like a good idea for them to mix in Deadpool. Doctor Strange, you know, Wanda traveling through all these dimensions. They get to that dimension and Deadpool follows them. Yeah. I'd be down for that. I'd be down for that. And Wade just sneaks in. And then in the end credits, it's like, we see one of the Doctor Strange portals and Wade's like, Oh, where am I now? Ooh, Looks like I got some places to explore. And then, boom, Deadpool 3. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. And I I would be down with it. Good for Ryan Reynolds. I'm excited for this. So, you know. All right, next up, we got the first look at Starfire in Titan Season 3. They finally gave her a costume. And I like it more than the concept art. I just don't like the wiring on it. I don't like some of the lines. But I do love her hair. They should not give her pink hair. Let her keep her natural hair color. It looks amazing with her. And like I said, I just don't like the lines. Other than the lines, I think it's a pretty dope costume. Yeah, I thought it looked pretty nice. It definitely seemed like a fit to the show. Yeah, it definitely. Fit it wasn't the show. like, yeah, it wasn't it like. It might too have out been there. the most cosplay costume though out of the show, which it, is kind of yeah, trash. I think that really has to do more with the color scheme. Mm, okay. Like, because all the other costumes we've seen didn't necessarily have like extravagant color schemes besides Hawk and Dove. And Hawk and Dove stuff, you can argue, also is very cosplay. I don't like, know. You know. Hawk and the, Dove look good. The Nightwing stuff's going to, well, I would say, more. I actually, you know, yeah, it did look pretty good. I'd Hawk say and more Dove Hawk. Good. And say more Aqualad Dove than looked Hawk. good, too. Aqualad looked good. I don't remember. Did we get Donna Troy I don't in costume? I don't think we yeah, did. Yeah, we did. No, we did. We definitely did. We definitely did. It was the red one. Okay. Hers didn't look okay. bad. Uh, yeah, so, I don't know. I mean, I really think it's because it's like purple or whatever. Yeah, no, we definitely got Donna Troy in the all red. Yeah, it's, it's, I think I think this is their worst costume, but I don't think it's bad. Like I said, I just don't like the lines. Yeah. So, but um, good for Corey. Gonna expand on her story, give get all her sister stuff, and it's about time she got a costume because she is a senior member of this team and she can't just keep walking around in normal clothes, shooting off bolts of fire. Because I'm sure her 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 suit from Tamaran enhances like her abilities or allows her to go supernova or some kind of shit. For sure, there's gotta be some something. Some I mean. perks to it. Um, Maybe but flight. Our next- yeah, that's what I was thinking too. I just didn't remember. See, it's been so long. I feel like, like her since hair, we watched Titans that I don't remember if she did fly yet or not. She hasn't, and, and maybe so that's you probably know how helpful. She has like she shoots like actual fire. Maybe like the fire that comes out of her body and her hair powers the suit to give her flight or some shit. Maybe so, or maybe like even the suit gives us 
less fire, more energy beam. Like yeah, because it's green stuff. and we have like the the orbs inside it. The bu- so mm-hmm. yeah, I would fuck with that too. Either way, I'm down for Starfire. We're gonna get. A I'm lot just of ready for the season. season. Yeah, I am too. Um, but Stranger Things is another season that uh, season four people are highly anticipating, and they have just added eight new players to the upcoming oh, cast. Jesus. Uh, they cast Jamie Campbell Bauer, most notably known for uh, Sweeney Todd, Eduardo Franco, most notably known for Booksmart, uh, Joseph Quinn, most notably from Catherine the Great. They're all going to be series regulars, as well as Robert Anglin, best Freddy known Kruger. as being Freddy Krueger, um, among several others. So they also listed on here what some of what those characters are going to be. Um, Jamie Campbell Bauer is going to be Peter Ballard, a caring man who works as an orderly at a psychiatric hospital. Tired of the brutality he witnesses day after day, will Peter finally take a stand? Um, Eduardo Franco is going to play Argyle, Jonathan's new best friend and a fun-loving stoner who proudly delivers delicious pizza pies for Surfer Surfer Boy Pizza. Um... Joseph Quinn, he joins as Eddie Munson, an audacious 80s metalhead who runs the Hellfire Club, Hawkins High's official uh, Dungeons and Dragons club. Hated by those who don't understand him and beloved by those who do, Eddie will find himself at the terrifying epicenter of the season's mystery. Ah, okay. And our resident Freddy Krueger himself will play Victor Creel, a disturbed and intimidating man who is imprisoned in a psychiatric hospital for a gruesome murder in the 1950s. So he's our serial killer slasher this season. It could be um, a prime. I, I don't. I think he's a secondary villain. To be honest, because like you know, Stranger Things, the main villain is usually something a little bit more supernatural. True. Um, and it makes also, sense if they're doing the 80s motif. Yes, very, very much so. Hey, it's height of serial killers. Yeah, you make a good point. Um, so, so also joining the cast, Game of Thrones alum Tom Wal- Wallach Chia. I can't. I don't even remember his character name, but he's going to play Dimitri, a Russian prison guard who befriends Hopper. <laughs> Sherman Sherman Augustus, most notably from Into the Badlands, will be Lieutenant Colonel Sullivan, an intelligent, no nonsense man who believes he knows how to stop the evil in Hawkins once and for all. Good luck with that. He's yeah. dying. Mason Die from Bosch. He will play Jason Carver. Jason seemingly has it all. He's handsome. He's rich. He's a sports star. And he's dating the most popular girl in school. But as a new evil threatens Hawkins, Jason's perfect world begins to unravel. I guess he's like the, the new the Steve for the, group, for the group, the main group. Yeah. Wait, Steve's um, not coming back or is he dead? I assume Steve is going to come back. But I'm saying like, you know, this more so establishes for me that this is going to be high school. Oh, okay. Like our main cast is going through high school. Yeah. So he's gotcha. going to be like the high school guy. Oh yeah. Okay. Cause Steve should be like in what college or done with it. Yeah. It seems like Jonathan is either like dropped out of college or mm. I don't know what, I don't know what age of high school that they're going to portray because that depends on like where Jonathan and Nancy and Steve are. True, 100%. Especially since they said his stoner friend, yeah, he might just be a dropout just chilling. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nicola Dergico, most notably from Genius, will play Yuri, a seedy and unpredictable Russian smuggler who loves bad jokes, cold hard cash, and crunchy style peanut butter. So we know that there's going to be a lot of har- hopper in Russia. Yeah. So that 
it kind of sets that tone. How does he get back? I don't know if he – I don't really know if he gets back for a majority – Of the season. To be there for the majority of the season. I think, like, let's say if it's – I think Stranger Things is usually eight or ten. I'm going to say eight. If there's eight episodes of the season, I feel like he gets two Hawkins in, like, the seventh or eighth. Oh, okay. So season finale, penultimate episode type shit. Yeah. Got you. Got you. All right. Well, yeah, this, I, is, this is for you and all your Stranger Things homies who – Watch. I still have not watched Stranger Things. Oh, well, I mean, it's pretty great. I might, I might give it a chance now that it's like a lot of seasons and I can binge it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's always better as a binge. Like, that's why I'm glad that they have always been about the Netflix. I'm putting everything out at once because, you know, even when we were talking about it, when the last season came out, I had to like watch it all because like I knew I was going to get spoiled for me. Yeah, yeah. Because like it's just one of those things that you just Twitter once you start about getting that fast. Well, and once you start getting into it every, for every episode you're like, "Oh man, I got to watch the next one." True, true. That's how the boys was for me season 1, wish they would go back, they never will. <laughs> no. They never will. No. They banked on that too good. That money's too good for them coming in each week with everybody just stuck on Amazon. For sure. Um, but yeah, excited for Stranger, Stranger Things season four. The next thing we got talking about is one of uh, one of the big actors of the moment, our most recent Joker, Joaquin Phoenix. He's in talks to star in Ari Aster's upcoming film, Bo is Afraid. And uh, it, the synopsis is, an anxious man, played by Joaquin Phoenix, learns of the, of the death of his mother under mysterious circumstances and upon traveling home, makes an alarming discovery about his past. During his journey, he runs into various crazy supernatural threats. Um, for people who don't catch the name, Ari Aster, Ari Aster did a majority of your A24 horror like Midsummer. Got you, got you. So got you. I think combining Joaquin Phoenix and, and his amazing Midsummer acting guys. abilities yeah. and Ari Aster into a supernatural thriller. That's going to be nuts. That's going to be think absolutely it's gonna be nuts. nuts. Yeah. No, you're right. Uh, it, it took me a while for it to connect Ari Aster and that, but no, nah, that's going to be crazy. Yeah, I think that's going to be a, a home run in the making. I've, you know, I've, I was reading in the article when I pulled the story out that Martin Scorsese is a big fan of Ari Aster. Oh. And he says that like, he's really excited for what he's going to do with this film. The person who was interviewing Ari Aster was like, you know, got the lowdown and wasn't going to like say, not giving spoilers, but he said like it's some of the craziest things that he's ever heard that's supposed to be in a movie. So it could be okay. pretty wild. All right. I'm not mad at that. I'm not mad at that at all. So, all right. Next up, we got a new untitled murder mystery is certainly locking in a great cast as Saoirse Ronan, Sam Rockwell, and David Aloeo are all making deals to star. The story is set in 1950s London where a desperate Hollywood film producer sets out to turn a popular West End play into a film. When members of the production are murdered, world-weary Inspector Stoppard, a.k.a. Rockwell, and an overzealous rookie constable stalker, Ronan, will find themselves in the middle of a puzzling whodunit in London's glamorous theater land in a sordid underground. This sounds like knives out all over again. I'm digging it. I'm loving that murder mysteries are in right now. I love that. I'm excited for this because Sam Rockwell, great. Sorcerer Ronan, great. And David uh, Aluowo is great as well. I know I'm mispronouncing his name yeah. every time, but all three yeah. great. And I'm just excited to see the cast of actors that are committing the murder. That's going to yeah, confirm but, whether or not this is going to be great. 
the next supporting cast announcement is going to be big on that. I didn't put in the director in here, but it's a guy who's making his debut. Ah, okay, okay. So that's where it gets a little suspect for me because, like, with Knives Out, I feel like what carried Knives Out was the greatness Ryan of Brian Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. And, you know, even in the Kenneth Branagh who done it, it's like Kenneth Branagh knows how to, like, put a movie together. That's so a fact. it's like, who's so doing that's, But, you know, when I hear a name like Sam Rockwell and Shersha Ronan, and, you know, and even David Oluwolu, I think is how you say it, something like that. And having them put their name onto this, I feel, especially Saoirse Ronan, because like literally everything that she does is like a, either a hit or something that people are talking about. Yeah. So I feel like that kind of helps me get excited about this movie. 100%. I agree with you. A thousand percent. So Bullet Train has added Logan Lerman and Lady Gaga was cast. So th- let's give a synopsis of Bullet Bullet Train. I'll tell you who each of these characters that we know are playing and wh- what they're doing. So Bullet Train, seven assassins with different motifs board a Bullet Train in Tokyo, each get entangled in each other's missions and have to fight for their own survival. At the last stop, only one assassin gets off the train alive. The lead is Brad Pitt. He's a casual-looking American in black frame glasses. He's the biggest fan of his code name, given a string of close calls on his recent jobs. Believes that he might be uh, cursed. He boards the bullet train with the easy task of getting on, grabbing the briefcase, and getting off at the first stop. This does not happen whether he wants to or not. He does what must in order to survive. His name is La- his code name is Ladybug. The next one is Joey King, the prince. She's the female teenager, uh, a spoiled teenager who is out to prove everyone wrong, especially her parents. She is tired of the way people see her and wants to be in control of her own fate. She's twisted, demented, smart, and knows how to put on a nice face when needed. She boards the train to kill the Black Death. Kimura. We pause real quick. Gotcha. Chloe Grace Moretz lost out on that role. That's all I'm thinking of. Because, like... Because it doesn't that not make you think of like Chloe Grace Moretz and like what she did and like Kick Ass and stuff like that. Yes, Hit Girl definitely does. Damn, good for Joey King beating her ass. <laughs> the next one we got is Kim- Kimura, Japanese struggling alcoholic who boards the bullet train to find the person who attempted to murder his son. He hides his criminal career from his family. He feels an immense amount of guilt about his shortcomings as a father. The next one is Tangerine. So who's that? Car- who's oh, that's that? Andrew Koji. Okay. The next one is Tangerine, played by Aaron Taylor Johnson. The more serious of the two twins, he speaks with a a refined British accent, is well-practiced. He boards the bullet train to return the Black Death's son in a briefcase filled with $10 million. His brother, Lemon, is uh, the other twin. He speaks in less polished, more cockney British accent. He has a penchant for talking about Thomas the Tank Engine, who annoys Tangerine. He boys the bullet train to return Black Death's son, just like his brother. The person in talks right now for this is Damson Idris. You may know Damson Idris as a... Uh, let me see. Is that... I feel like that's a black guy. Wait. Oh, wow. It can't going, be. It is. Uh, I guess, like, quote-unquote twins. Yeah, quote-unquote twins. Cool. I'm down for that. I, yeah. Damson Idris and Aaron, Aaron Taylor Johnson will have... Uh, We'll have like a good, you know, a good uh, vibes. He's the dude from um, Snowfall. 
He's he's a really good actor. Oh he's, yeah, yeah, dude. No, him and Aaron Taylor Johnson have a good chemistry. So I'm. I'm oh, I really I, like Snowfall too. I, I hope he gets it. Uh, the next one is Maria. This is the Lady Gaga role. If she got it, I don't. She got. Is it confirmed she got it? When I read the thing about Logan Lerman, they said that she was like confirmed confirmed in the cast. Okay. So. Well, okay. So either she has it or the offer's out to her, and she hasn't accepted it yet. Either way. Uh, this is a mainly head-in voiceover with one small scene at the end. She is Ladybug's handler. Ooh, that's interesting. So it's like she's voiceover in, in Brad Pitt's head. Okay, interesting. interesting. The next one is The Elder. This is Kamora's father, walks with a cherrywood cane. He had, He's hard on his son for not being a good father. It's later revealed when he was younger that he also provided his family in questionable ways. He later boards the bullet trains to avenge the death of his wife. This is the person who talks for this is Hiroyuki Sanada. I believe that's my guy. I believe that's my, oh no, that's, wait. Yeah, that's my guy from The Last Samurai 47. Ronin, uh, this is like one of my favorite uh, Japanese actors. I love this guy. He's too young. Nah, he's 60 years old. He just oh, looks, wow, he looks great. Yeah, he looks great. Yeah, no, 1,000%. He's, he's amazing. I love this guy. All right, so we got him. The next one is the son. Uh, he, he is the son of Black Death. He warns Lemon and Tangerine about his father before he's killed. They're looking to maybe cast Dane DeHaan. The next one is the wolf, a hired assassin who boards the bullet train to find the person who kills his former boss in a way to get back in. He holds strong guilt for his past failures. We don't know who that is yet. The next one is the Hornet. This is a female in charge of uh, the concession cart and is later to re re later revealed to be the Hornet, the assassin who killed the wolf's boss. And finally, mm -hmm. Black Death, the brooder killer who's at the center of all the action. The person who's in talk of this is Hugh Jackman to be the lead villain. I'm surprised that they hadn't cast that already because it was such a – what are you saying? So it's a small supporting character? I thought you said it was like a big, big well, it's like the villain. He's like the main he's like the main antagonist, the the guy who the plot is centered around. All right. Well, yeah, I, I would love to see Hugh Jackman jump into this because it would just make the cast even better. You know, you mentioned Dane DeHaan. I'd really like to see Dane DeHaan do that as well. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. This cast sounds great. Bullet Train is a movie we've talked about multiple times, and now that we got a lot just of information about out it. Names. Yeah. This seems like Every this is gonna be a great like a new name. Like, so, you know, we, so we talked about Logan Lerman joining the cast, but we haven't figured out which of these people that play. he's playing. So, like, I'm guessing that he would jump in to play the wolf. Either the wolf or instead of Dane DeHaan, he's the son. That could be it, too. Or he, yeah, I, I think it's, he, if I had to guess, he's the son. He's either the son or the wolf. And then the other person you said on here is the conductor. Yeah. Which I assume would be an older actor. Yeah, they're like super small role. They're working with the Hornet. So, and I don't think that's Logan Lerman. So I'm guessing Logan Lerman ended up getting the Dane DeHaan role if I had to put money on. So that would make sense. All right, dope. But yeah, that's all I got on Black on Bullet Train. All right, well, let's talk a little bit of some Marvel news. So we, we were talking earlier on, or maybe even just been off air, but we were talking about whether or not Guardians of the Galaxy three would happen. Well, they're going to start filming next year. Cool. So Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is happening, apparently. Um, but also filming next year in July, Black Panther 2. So some early speculation might see that Shuri and M'Baku are at odds to become the next Black Panther. Um, but THR is reporting that Tenoch Huerta from Netflix Narcos Mexico is in talks to play 
the villain for Black Panther 2. If they kill so. T'Challa off screen, that's going to be one of the worst and most jarring things of the MCU. They have they re- to. What are they going to do? Recast him, bro. I've seen so many. Like, shout out to Van Lathan from The Ringer. I said this first for sure, but he's co-signing it now, and I'm seeing a lot of black people co-sign it and that are like nerds. You got to recast him. His story wasn't done. It won't make sense if Shuri's just now the Black Panther. You killed him off screen. We don't get to see it like cast someone like Damon Idris. Cast some like just give someone a chance. John Boyega, there's someone let them take this role because it's not fair to T'Challa as a character. And I guarantee Chadwick Boseman wouldn't want this story to end. He didn't work I mean, that hard to just have that story end. Yeah, it, it would be the first major hit that the MCU would have to take in terms of like reestablishing. Because like, they, well, I guess they had to do that early before they had really established themselves with Hulk. But this is worse. But like, like this Hulk is way worse. Reca- yeah, like... This dude was in there. He's the Black Panther, and you just kill him off screen? Like, that, that, that will make no sense. It will be extremely, extremely, extremely jarring. Yeah. So and it'll I mean, take me out of the movie. It will. So, obviously, they're, they're starting to figure out and formulate a plan if they're going to start filming in next summer. I, and, and I feel like that's just the media wanting Shuri to get it, and I don't. it's not her time yet. Like, we need at least, an, at least one more T'Challa story. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like the media and people are thrusting Shuri into the role because, like, there's comic background to it, and also they they would like to to see that. But I just really don't see like I, from where we left the character it, it her being any any sort of ready to be. She's in not that ready. Role. If anything, and, you would give it to a Koye or or Lupita Nyong'o's character before her. Yeah, she, like Shuri's not physically ready. She's not a warrior like them. She had she uses her tech. Yeah. So like, yeah. I'm sorry, it would not work, and I'm not a fan of that. And I'm interested to see if Tenoch Huerta is either uh is either Namor, which I doubt because I wanted it to be Namor, but maybe, or is he uh uh fucking Craven the Hunter. Yeah, I was gonna say, um, Kugler mentioned that he wanted Craven the Hunter in the first Black Panther. So, you know, is this the time now? We shall have, see. Have they have they, uh, Do they have the know, rights obtained though? that I that IP? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Was like, from Sony? I don't know. We're gonna have to wait and see. But you know, that's just that's just where I'm at with Black Panther too. Yeah, so we'll find out. I mean, that's I feel like that is the one movie more so than any movie and any superhero fantasy genre that is like the most up in question. Yeah, and it's definitely. Not, and it's not anybody's fault. It no, really not at isn't. all. Like, um, but it's just the, the circumstances that we have. It's just very difficult to figure out where you want to go from here. This is worse than what Star Wars had to deal with. Yeah, it is. It's, it's very hard. Yeah. I mean, you know, even like it feels weird even to like be talking about it as soon as it is at this point. Like, I feel like yeah. you at least have to push the movie. But like you know, the, again, they're in their schedule of a slate, so it's like, okay, well, we need this to further along our story. Our but like, how do you tell the story? And if like they are trying to further further along a plot line, then you have to recast them because like then that's my you, thing. Like you got to it, it. It just it just won't work if you don't. It really won't. Yeah, I don't know. It's gonna be weird. But yeah. um, the one thing I wanted to throw in here next was that uh disney and 20th century studios are developing another predator movie the fifth predator movie 
with 10 Cloverfield Lane director Dane Trachtenberg. And it's going to be an all-Native American cast. It's, about, it's going to back in time when the Native Americans uh, were on, in America and they made contact with the Predator. See, I didn't read all that, but that makes me very excited about this. That's the idea that I read from uh, Daniel RPK, so... Okay, well, I hope that's the case because, like, that hasn't really been mass reported, but, like, that would actually make me – because I was about to come Super on here and be like – I was why about to come on here and be predator? like, why do we need another predator after they ruined Just imagine it, Shane bow and arrows, uh, axes, and, like, you get really, like, just Native American warfare versus this high-tech predator. That'd yeah, be I super mean, I'm interesting. Thinking like, I'm thinking, like, uh, what do you think, like, woods or desert? Ooh, I'm thinking desert. I'm but thinking there's nowhere to hide, too. but I'm thinking desert. Yeah, because I can see, like, a canyon. Yeah, like, can like the different mountain ranges they're hiding in. Maybe even snow, like, it goes from, like... Maybe even snow. Yeah, something like that. I don't, I don't think they'll do woods again. Snow would, snow would be good because, like, then you'd have the tracks... See, like, I'm thinking there's got to be, like, a snow or some kind of And you of mud. can use the thermal tech, the, the, uh, and they can hide in the The thermal. Snow. Yeah. Dude, yes. Okay. Yeah, we need to be writing this movie. But, <laughs> hopefully it's, but hopefully yeah. it's not the woods, because the woods you, played out. You saved it for me, because I was about to come on here and be like, why do we need another Predator movie? No, I was feeling I, the same I, way I like until Dan I read Trackenberg, the long line. But that really makes me interested. Especially since we don't get a lot of Native American movies and we don't see a lot of Native American actors. This is a good way for diversity. And this is, this is a way to do it without throwing it in your face like for diversity's sake. This is No, this is... You, ha you came up with a good idea. It fits the d diversity thing and it works. That's how you make diversity be uh, effective. Not by just casting saying, oh, we need a woman Batman or, oh, we need this or no... You, you come up with a cool idea that involves uh, different nationalities of people and you make a cool story about it. And that's what this is. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I think what you've pitched is incredible. Like, I would love to see this movie, like, ASAP. Same. So hopefully Dan Trachtenberg gets it done. One thing I wanted to throw in here, which is completely trash, is I saw that first look for the Clifford the Big Red Dog movie. It doesn't it look terrible. good. Yeah, they need the Sonic the Hedgehog Clifford. Yeah, for sure. I mean, well, I mean, it's just because he looks like a giant puppy. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, this just does not look right. Yeah. But maybe he's supposed to be a puppy and then he's going to grow into a dog. I don't know, man. I'm not going to watch this movie. So. <laughs> yeah, me neither. It's for kids. But all right, next up we got, it looks like Godzilla versus King Kong will be the next major movie to forego the theatrical release and head straight to streaming. It's been a long time since we had an official update, but... uh. This, which naturally led to the assumption that the movie has been pushed back and would hit theaters in later 2021 or sometimes in 2022. However, THR is reporting that the stream that a streaming debut is more likely. According to THR, Netflix put in an offer for more than $200 million for the film, which Warner Media blocked as they prepare a counter offer for the rights to send it to HBO Max. Legendary declined to comment, but a Warner Brothers spokesperson said, we plan to re release Godzilla vs. King Kong next theatrically next year is scheduled but that doesn't mean it won't go to hbo max because they could do a wonder woman 1984 where it's released in theaters and hbo max at the same time so we shall see but warner brothers is trying to pay to over to beat netflix's offer because they do have first rights so we shall see 
I mean, honestly, the last Godzilla movie wasn't that great. I think streaming would help this movie a lot. And help get eyes on it. I just don't know yeah. if it'll help them financially. Um, unless they, unless HBO Max can give them a, well, what Netflix is going to give them two hundred million, so I guess they're going to give them like three hundred million. Yeah, two hundred fifty million. Legendary is going to make the money back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Plus, if know. they do I'm, a theatrical release, I'm sure they'll get some of the profits. Unless now, unless Warner Brothers, when they pay for HBO Max, they're getting full. Like, here's your four hundred mil. That's all y'all get, and we're getting the rest. But like, I don't know how that's beneficial. To yeah, Warner you know, Brothers. Like, it's really hard about that movie too, because I don't know if you've ever seen these things that pop up on my Facebook, but it's like, you know, monster versus monster, like simulation. Like this is what that feels like to me. You know, it's just like a CGI Godzilla and a CGI King Kong battling each other. I just don't really know if like, that's something that I'd really want to like invest time in. It's definitely not something that I feel like I'd want to go pay in theater to go see. Even though I'm saying if it's on HBO max, I'll watch it. So that's the thing, yeah. I mean, it's going to be good to get eyes on, but I just, yeah, I don't know. I don't want, I hope that it, does, it doesn't confuse other people with being like, oh, look how many people watch, watch it on streaming. Let's make another one. Oh, you know no, that's going to happen. If it succeeds, you know they're going to make another one. But uh, we shall see. Because they had this whole Godzilla universe planned out. It just, Godzilla vs. King of Monsters just wasn't successful, and they kind of dropped the ball. So, we're going to have to wait and see. But it's time for rumors and small stories. Coming to America 2 is coming March 5th, 2021 to Amazon Prime. Uh, we have a Green Lantern update. Guy Gardner is going to be a hulking mass of masculinity. And he's nice. going to be the embodiment of the 1980s hyper-patriotism that brought us Rambo and Hulk Hogan. Yet, guys, alike, somehow likable. He might act foolish, but he's not dumb. And he loves his wife and young daughter with all of his hard-partying, fast-driving, hot-headed heart. But like many alpha males, there's a deep undercoving current of pain driving it all. His partner will be Bree Jarda, a black female that's half-alien, half-human, a uh, few landers take their commitment to the corpse and its ideals more serious than Brie. She's half human and it's half. She's worked hard to forget the daughter of an alien mother and human father. She was raised on another planet in an enlightened, advanced society, outworking her peers and earning her ring only to find herself partnered with Guy and experience racism in America. The next person is Alan Scott, a white male. From the outside, he's the model of the early 1940s J. Edgar G. Man. Handsome, clean-shaven, well-dressed, not a hair out of place. Alan spent his life trying to exemplify truth, justice, in the American way. At 28, he's already a household name in Los Angeles, portrayed as a hero in the press. But for all of his honesty, there's a giant lie hovering over Alan. He's a gay man, a fact that in this era could cost him his job or even his life. This show will show three stories set in three different time periods, the 40s, the 80s, and present day. In present day, we see... The Landrons are Jessica Cruz and Simon Baz. There will be 10 episodes, and yeah, that's what... Oh, and the Dominators are some sort of villain who we saw in the CW crossover, the first one. So there's that, and then the... Uh, so each so each little bit is going to be focused on... Yeah, so like none of these are going to be intertwined. And also, uh, we're not going to be like in an episode where we're doing like 
Okay, it starts the episode with Alan Scott, and then we're going to go to Guy Gardner. No, no, I think it's each going to be each end of each episode, like maybe two, two, three episodes. I'm thinking like Alan three. Scott, three episodes at, well, it's 10, it's 10, so like. It's 10, so like 10, yeah. three, three, and three, and, uh, yeah. and a one, so. And one, yeah, and they might connect in the one. Somehow, yeah. So, somehow, somewhere, yeah. Flash. Then, so Just the kidding. next thing we got is uh, after what Warner Brothers is doing with uh, Wonder Woman, Marvel Studios and Disney are considering releasing Black Widow. They're going to make their decision in a month, a.k.a. once they see how Wonder Woman does on HBO Max. So Because they don't, don't want to chance it because of Mulan. Also, we've known about a show called Amazons for a while, or a, a spinoff called Amazons, but we've gotten an update from Patty Jenkins. Now with Wonder Woman 1984 heading to HBO Max on Christmas Day, Patty Jenkins shared a few interesting details on what we can expect from the spinoff. While it could be a movie, people are now suspecting that it may be a TV show, especially with seeing what James Gunn is doing with Peacemaker and with Matt Reeves is doing with his Batman movie. But apparently the spinoff is going to pick up shortly after the events of Wonder Woman and even tie into Wonder Woman 3. The story is a story that Jeff Johns and I came up with that's what Patty's saying and introduced to Warner Brothers. The events of the story take place after Diana leaves the mascara, the island of Amazons. There are some twists and turns linked to what will happen between Wonder Woman 1984 and Wonder Woman 3. The production of the project has not officially yet started, but I hope we get it because I love this story. So it's going to be about the Amazons between two and three. We shall see. Yeah. I think it might be a TV show just because of everything that's going on with uh, yeah. DC. So. I don't yeah, think it's going to be a movie, could, Yeah, and I think, like, if they're also, if they're trying to, they're coming, you know, starting from the end of Wonder Woman 1 to getting to Wonder Woman 3, which well, we assume think, is going to be I don't think it's going to be day. Wonder Woman 1. I think it's going to be more so Wonder Woman 2. But, you know, it, it, they did say when she leaves the mascara. So, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's a, a broad time. Time period, of, yeah. To, to, to fill. And, of course, like, you know, Amazon's don't age. So, it's not like you have to, like, worry about aging. Yeah. But, like, I can't see them doing all of that in a movie. That's what I'm saying. It's got to be a series. That's why it's got to be a TV show. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Um, The next one we have is... Now, did you mention, like, in some of these other rumors that, like, Sinestro is going to be in that? Oh, we talked about that last week. All right, okay. Well. Yeah, Sinestro is going to be in the Green Lantern series. But uh, the next thing well, we have... What time period do you think he's going to be in there? Guy Gardner? Guy Gardner in present day. He can't be in Alan Scott's. I think he's you can do both. Right? Yeah, I think he's going to be in both. I think he's going to cross. Um, but the next thing we have is apparently Naomi Scott is up for a role, the co-lead role in the Obi-Wan series. She's in condition to play this quote-unquote character called Riley, who is the lead female uh, co-lead to Obi-Wan. Also... Thuso Madu is and Anula Navlakar are also up for the role, but Naomi Scott is the most notable of the three, and she's the favorite. So we shall see. I like Naomi Scott. Who joins the Obi Wan series? But that's all the rumors and small stories that I have for you today, Schubert, my friend. Now I think that Obi Wan is going to encounter someone because I I I think that it's going to be half of the series is going to be off world. Mm. And so yeah, I think like Naomi, Japanese. so I feel like Naomi Scott is going to be like somebody he meets like cantina or something like that. Who's going to be like the pilot. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I'm, that's, I'm that's, where I'm, that's where I'm leaning because like there's you, we were talking about Vader earlier. 
there's no way that Vader can come to Tatooine. It can't happen. Yeah, no way, because they need no Luke was there. Yeah, exactly. Great point. Great point. You, you're absolutely right, Shuby. So we'll we'll see, uh, but I'm excited about that. Like I I I like Naomi Scott and Aladdin. You know, I I didn't see the Charlie Angels reboot, but I didn't think that she was going to be the worst part of that. And um, I would be interested to have her join the Star Wars universe. So yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you 100. percent All right, let's get the movie on the rise. All right. Um, I'll go ahead and start things off. So I have. I'm going to cover our bases here with a few different streaming services. So the first one, Netflix, there's a movie coming out on Monday or Tuesday, I believe it's called the second. It's about a, a um, secret service person who has to um, protect one of his son's classmates. Who's like a daughter of a Senator. And there's like a conspiracy a killer or whatever. It's got a Ryan Phil- Philippi in it. Um, it, from what I saw on IMDb, it's like a middle of the road kind of film. It's that's a Netflix movie, obviously. Yeah. But I think it'd be worth checking out um, when it comes out. It's easy watching. But All the right. next one I have is another movie. It's coming out on Hulu. I don't know if we mentioned it before, um, but it's the Kristen Stewart film where she is and her girlfriend are going home for Thanksgiving or for Christmas, and Kristen Stewart's girlfriend hasn't told her family that she's a lesbian mm. or that she's dating a girl. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen the trailer for that. That looks good. It looks really funny and um I was watching Dan Levy on I think Fallon and he was talking about his role and they showed some clips of it and it looks really funny. So I, I'm interested to check that out. It's on Hulu now. Oh I'm gonna definitely and, check that out. And um the last one I have here is the Kaylee Cuoco series, The Flight Attendant, which at first I thought was going to be goofy, but I, now I've come to find is very serious. And again, I saw her on the late night circuits talking about it and seen some clips of it. And it looks like it could be a pretty good uh, series on HBO Max. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Shout out to, that shout starts, out to those. That starts on Thanksgiving. The thing I'm the most excited for is Happiest Season. Oh, what do you think? Before I get into mine, what do you think? Because Thanksgiving tomorrow, and the people are hearing this on this, what's the best Thanksgiving related thing movie you see i think spider-man might be the best thanksgiving movie spider-man the uh oh, first yeah. one because you got to think that scene where norman osborne they're they're cutting the turkey it's very crucial to the plot that's where he figures out peter parker spider-man like there's so much tension i really like that that is like my thanksgiving movie yeah you put me on the spot there i really haven't really thought about like thanksgiving movies whenever i think of thanksgiving movies the only thing I think of at the moment is that Tiffany Haddish movie. Oh, the oath. The they oath. say knives out. They say knives out takes place during Thanksgiving. It's not very clear. It's not clear at all. Yeah, that's why I said Spider Man. See, yeah, I didn't even like remember that. So I'm, I'm sure there's like some other ones out Four there. Four brothers. You know, there's not that many things. They don't. People don't really use, go to Thanksgiving as like a movie background. National Treasure. They Which say they takes should. place during Thanksgiving. I think I remember that that's true, but that's, that's one thing that I think that really needs to be touched on a little bit more. When we think of like holiday movies, Christmas is definitely the one that everyone goes to. Uh, I, th- I feel like Valentine's like Day is good. Yeah, I'd say Halloween second and then probably third would be like Valentine's Day, maybe yeah. New Year's um, because they're kind of like hand in hand. 
really. yeah it's so usually a romantic background with either um but i don't know why you wouldn't touch in more thanksgiving based things i think you can do good murder mysteries with thanksgiving i think you could do really good comedies with thanksgiving you could do really good like feel good dramas on during thanksgiving like i feel like thanksgiving needs to be set as more of a backdrop mardi gras mardi gras is a pretty good holiday too I feel yeah, that's not getting utilized. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Like, I feel like you could set up a lot of stuff, especially using New Orleans or even Mobile or any of the southern Mardi Gras celebrating cities yeah. as a backdrop for a good movie. No, I agree, one thousand percent. All right, let me do my um my um movie on the rise. I was just writing out uh, something that that we need for later in the show. I just had to write it out and and look at it clear. But yeah. all right, my movie on the rise. I'm starting off with Uncle Frank. It's a movie that's on Amazon Prime right now. In 1973, Frank Bledsoe and his 18 year old niece Beth take a road trip from Manhattan to Creeksville, South Carolina, for the family patriarch funeral. They're unexpectedly joined by Frank's lover Wallet, and his family doesn't know that he's gay. Or they, or they don't, they don't like to talk about it. One or the other, and it's played by, uh, by Paul Bettany. And I just thought that oh, wow. the the trailer really, really intrigued me. I thought the trailer was very, very interesting, and it made me really want to watch this movie. It looked really good. Judy Greer is also in it. Steve Zahn is also in it. Uh, Katie Brewer. Um, but I, uh, but Paul Bettany is really like the main, the main, main big name, and he. Really kills it. Oh, and Sophia Lillis, your girl from Stranger Things, is the uh, mm. niece. So I'm really excited to watch this. This is a movie I'm going to definitely watch with my girlfriend. It's like a good girlfriend movie to watch. Also, We Are the Champions. It's yeah, a Sophia Netflix Lillis documentary where it's just about different weird champions, people winning weird shit. Thought it was interesting. But HBO has a new show called Industry, and it looks just like sex, drugs, rock and roll, and business. You get a group of young graduates compete for a permanent position at the top investment bank in London, but the boundaries between colleague, friend, lover, and enemy soon blur as they immerse themselves in this new world, and shit gets real. People doing blow, people fucking in the bathroom. Shit is just wow. So I'm definitely oh, yeah. checking out industry, but that's my movie this week, brother. That's all good. Yeah, we got two coming out movies on here. Yeah, there's two, but two very different ones. One thousand percent. One thing that I was thinking about. Uh, well, first, Sophia Lillis is from It. Oh yeah, she's not from Stranger Things. Yeah. And um, second, Paul Bettany. I didn't put this in the notes, but I did see something. And you're wearing the Dunder Mifflin shirt, so it makes me think about it. Where they're talking about how, um, WandaVision is going to have like a little bit of the Office to it, where like they're going to be like breaking the fourth wall. Oh, and talking yeah. to the camera and looking at the camera and stuff like that. Okay. I, I can see that coming. January, we're going to get it. So hopefully it's fire. I'm sad they moved it back, but January, cool. It's close enough. We're right there anyway. All right. Well, speaking of breaking the fourth wall, let's talk about a TV show that did that incredibly well. And that's the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. They had their reunion on HBO Max, which is pretty much Just one part documentary, talking. one part like reunion cast like it i i thought it was very powerful yeah i thought it was great you get things like aunt viv and will uh black aunt viv jennifer or i think her name is Jeanette hubbard let me look let me look aunt oh uh yeah her name is janet or Jeanette. Janet. yeah Jeanette, janet hubbard 
uh, and we learned that she like, looked great. Yeah, she did. We learned that uh, the feud with Will, like Will, regretted doing it. Uh, Will thought she was coming for him, and like she wasn't. She was going through a pregnancy at the time. She was going through abuse, abuse of marriage, abuse of marriage. Yeah, and she was just going through a rough time. Yeah, the studio was pretty much like shorting her. Like, yeah, they were like oh yeah, so we're really only gonna pay for this and you can't have any other work and she was yep. like well i mean like i have a husband with no job and a kid like i need to like make money to work yeah exactly and she got screwed but it was good seeing her and will like reconnect and like bury the hatchet it was also powerful when they talked about james avery and just how much he meant to the show and, yeah and, you know and, and you know you don't really know a lot about the people we know a lot about alfonso and will obviously because they're the, the bigger name people and, you know, maybe you knew more so about James Avery, but I didn't really realize, like, who he was as a human until yeah, really watching this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, knowing that he was, like, a big thespian, Shakespearean background. Yeah, loved, he's a like, theater all actor. the arts. Yeah. And you can definitely notice that you know, when you look back and think about, like, the character of Uncle Phil. But, you know, just the impact that he had not only on the people on the sets, but, but Will. you know will and you know what his character meant for people in um in the world you know that was the thing about this series as a sitcom was and you know you can attest to it even more so than me about the the cultural impact it had it was huge Um, man it was huge the way that it showed that black isn't a monolith of just gangs and violence it showed like a black family that had all different types of backgrounds and of poor, rich, and it just showed that just, it, it like I said, it just shows that black people aren't a monolith and it just shows different forms of, of black people showed black love. It was just, it was really great for the time. Like, if the Cosby show gave you this unrealistic idea of what black people are, this gave you, and I know people may say it's unrealistic, but this gave you a realistic look at how b- what black wealth interacts with the relative like people who are wealthy that are black people interact with their non-wealthy family members and how it's realistic and i think they nailed that on the head tremendously sure. one thing i thought was really interesting was when the the woman who played hillary was talking about that they were thinking about making her into like a strong black female character like kind of changing who her character was later down the line mm. and they were talking about how they had way more influence on like how the show was driven and you know within the week yeah and she was like i really feel like who the hillary is is some is telling and really like tells a different kind of perspective of a black woman that she wanted to keep pushing hillary the way that she was and like not totally flip her character and And just the idea that they had between hillary and the younger sister because the younger sister is the more when you think of typical strong black woman. Oh, for sure. But I think it was one of those things where like Hillary had already established herself as like the out of touch yeah. sister. So it was like, you know, why would you just flip her on the head? Like make that be like more so of like And there's and, and that just and shows their multiple voice they're like exactly. that voice exists out there. Yeah, no, one thousand percent. This is great. And I love seeing the new Anviv and the old Anviv. I just loved it all. Love seeing Jeffrey back. You know, hearing about the auditions, like seeing Alfonso's audition, which was pretty bad. Uh, hearing Will's story about going to Quincy Jones's house. I, you know, I don't want to go into that. People should should really you know watch this reunion <laughs> special and find out these stories. 
Hearing how Jazzy um, Jeff didn't even want to do it. <laughs> no, no, I love that they had Jazzy Jeff in there and um, and Will mouthing people's lines. Like, that was early on. I thought that was really funny. Yep. Um, so Quincy's and Will's relation, like Quincy, Quincy Jones is so responsible for this series. Without him, it doesn't happen. For sure. Um, you know, the laugh track stuff was great. I don't even remember like how, when you think of like laugh track comedies, like I think more so like the last big laugh track comedy was Big Bang. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was obviously piped in. Yeah. Because like, if you ever heard like them doing taping without the laugh track, it's so cringingly awkward. <laughs> what I think was great about the 90s and the 90s sitcoms yeah, was that you audience. had the live audiences. And I feel like, you know, when Carlton or I'm sorry, when Alfonso was saying, that at some point like getting a fresh prince taping ticket was like the hottest ticket in town i feel like that's something that we're missing out in today's culture like to be able to like be on set and see these actors doing their craft and to a live audience yeah i feel like that'd be something that really, could really benefit and if you were but, going to do a laugh track sitcom now man like if, if you're doing a laugh track show yes but like that's what i'm saying like if, if you really wanted to bring back the laugh track sitcom comedy that should you be gotta way do it live do it, yeah you, you can, where it's not only the week-to-week show but it's also a live event that you you know i'm in la i'm gonna go to the taping of you know the neighborhood you yeah know, bad example of a not a good show but <laughs> i'm just saying mean? like you know what i'm saying you know what i mean yeah no for sure uh then it just depends on the show. Like it, it, ha- it really, really depends on the show. Cause like new girl would have been benefited great from that, but like, it's always sunny. Not so much. No. It, and it's also hard, very hard because like, for they something like new girl, sets. I don't necessarily know. Because, yeah. Cause even new girl has a little bit of multiple sets or at least like that you can see that it's not a set stage. Like they yeah. rotate. It's, it's in like a building. Yeah. But um, the other thing I have in here, and you know, I was mentioning it to you off air that I was glad you were wearing the Dunder Mifflin shirt. I feel like the fourth wall stuff that really started with the Fresh Prince, you know, Will walked so that Jim Halper could run with like <laughs> looking at the camera and like, you know, playing with playing the audience and being incorporating with the audience, even though the office isn't like straight up incorporating with like a, a live audience. You yeah. know, it's a documentary based thing so that you know, he's looking and it's like, okay, well, isn't this crazy? Like, can you believe that? Like stuff, you know, so and, and seeing how all that stuff kind of established with that and Carlton, like running into the crowd and all that, you know, really kind of did things that other sitcoms weren't doing at the time, not only with it being a all black cast telling, you know, black stories at a time that was still not necessarily the hit kosher with all yeah. that. Yeah. Thanks. But it, it, not it changed the whole game when it comes to sitcoms for everybody it definitely did no 1000 percent. i think you phrased that the best i don't really have much more to say except people go watch it yeah because if you're a fresh prince fan it's great it's it was really fresh on my mind when we recorded this because i watched it right before and like i just you know i was giving you crap for making me watch it but i really enjoyed to it was worth it check it out but you know what was worth watching the Animaniacs. My God. Is this the best reboot yet? Um, it's the most meta reboot about how it was a it's reboot. It's a reboot. Sure. Bro, the, the songs, the comedy, it felt well, like... Well, the new it. song works because, like, I love the thing where it's like, you know, we're gender neutral and, uh, you, know, every, you know, here's our new contracts and, like, the you jokes, know... The jokes, like, it just, it all worked from the intro to... 
the episode where they're talking about like it's a reboot and they're like talking about they need to catch up on all the things they've missed and the, they didn't hold back on Trump. They didn't hold back on guns. Like they had one skit where it was like they were talking. They were using yeah, the bunny bunnies. one is about guns, right? Yeah, like they, they were so meta. They, were, they still kept the themes. And the only thing I'm missing from this show is the side characters. That's the only which thing they the show's which missing. they which they told you why. Did you not see that episode? Wait, which which one is that? There's an episode where they're getting hunted and they're and the hunter has killed all the side characters. Oh, I don't know if I, I That know. might be the that may be the next one you're supposed to watch. Uh, I won't tell you like the the twist of it, but like they tell they explain like what happened to the side characters. Oh, so are we never getting them back? They're dead? No. They're gone. Damn. Do we get new side characters? Not that I've seen so far. It's just them and Pinky in the Brain. That's the only thing I miss. But Pinky in the Brain feels timeless. Like, this is great. I'm so happy they well, animated you know, Some of the stuff that Pinky and the Brain are even touching on are very meta, very current. You know, what I think the one that I'm thinking the most is like the, the videos. Like, yeah. Um, where, they, where, where he's trying to make the uh, meme, where he's trying to become a meme. Shit was great. Uh, the Donald Trump shit, the big orange one, that was great. Like, Animaniacs are just awesome. It, it, it really it really was just awesome. And I think if you're a fan of the – because this doesn't feel like a kid's show. It feels like for the fans of the anim, Animaniacs from the 90s. If you were a fan of that show growing up, you'll be a fan of this one now. Yeah, and all the people who are out there canceling it, I mean, don't cancel it over like a five-second joke that didn't really – What are they canceling was, it over? What, what joke? Um, they touch on the whole Johnny Depp thing, oh. um, in like a small little poster that like insinuates that he was the, the, the that he was not innocent, that he was oh. like the wife beater. Pretty well, much. that was before they knew. Exactly. This is, it was written in 2018. They even so. say that they say if we're late on some stuff, because we wrote this on 2018. Oh no, yeah. I'm not. They're, they're tripping over that. That's ridiculous. But there, yeah, it was it was trending on Twitter. And, and, and also, I missed the Wheel of Morality. I miss Dot's Corner. There's certain things that mm. I, but no, I like how they brought Dot's. It's gonna come the, back. You know? I brought. I like how they did Dot's theater. They gave her a new thing, which I think works really well. But we're just gonna have to wait and see what just what they do with oh, season two. I loved the math thing. Did you see the math thing? Yes. I thought that was hilarious. No, that was that was for something that was hilarious. just so simple. They made it hilarious. So, like, I really did enjoy it. We only watched, I think you watched, what, five? I watched five, yeah. Okay, because I think I watched six. I think that's the one, like, the sixth one is the Hunter one that you're missing. Okay. And, um, and yeah, I mean, there's, I think, 13 total. Yep, and we're getting a season two. Has been and there's going to be a season two. So, uh, you know, I think that they're, they're on the right track here. I'm hoping that more people get into it. I'm hoping people who are listening to the show, you know, if you're Animaniacs fans, you have Check to watch it, it. Yeah, you got and if to. You're, and, if, and if you didn't really get into Animaniacs before, it's not only an opportunity for you to get introduced to it, because even those episodes in the past are hold up to an extent. Yeah, they do. It, especially if you just remember 90s culture. Because all it is is just 90s jokes. Of, yeah, of, and I mean, and they talk about that in this where it's like, you know, you know, we're everything that we did before was '90s jokes, and so how, how can we be current? And that's like the whole fight for you know this show. But they've done a really good job, and the writers do a great job on like making it 
relevant and current. I'm interested to see because the writers and people who worked on the first Animaniacs go on to do some amazing things. Justice League, the animated series. They go on to work on animated series throughout the early 2000s, some of our favorite shows. I'm interested to see if the oh, so, writers... Wait, so did you see the one, The Pinky in the Brain, where he was a senator? Yes. Oh, okay. But see, that was a really good one, too. That was great. And I'm interested to see if the writers of this show and people who work on it I'm interested to see the work that comes after this because the work that came after the first anim- Animaniacs was great. And I'm, I'm assuming that these people are going to start to do more animated stuff. So I'm, I'm only just excited for that. HBO at Max messed up by not having this on its platform. Yeah, I think so. I mean, especially because, you know, Animaniacs Warner Bro- Bro, they had is so Warner many- Brothers. They had so many, like, cameos of, like, badly drawn Batman and Wonder Woman where if they would have had... And on HBO Max, we could have got the the real deal. I think that's partly why they couldn't have a lot of the side characters, is because yeah. they're not incorporated with Warner Brothers for for real. And they tried so. to show the Looney Tunes and Fred, like the Fred Flintstone Looney Tunes, where they show all of them. That was great. Like mm-hmm. yeah. that's why I wish it was on HBO Max, so we could have got more of it. Definitely, but that's my that yeah, those are my only great. complaints. But yeah, no, this is great. All right, lead us, lead us, some, oh Star Wars one. So Mandalorian episode, this episode was short. Two episode four. It was a shorter episode. I think it was longer than the third episode. It was just action. Like I felt like everything that happened happened fast. Like I felt like I wasn't watching yeah. it for a long time. Like there really isn't too much that I want to deep dive into this. Not mainly, much. Mainly because like it's not necessarily it doesn't necessarily matter too much. Yeah, especially because since it, these people are like he dipped from them fast. Like the only important shit is the Moff Gideon shit. Sure. So, like, this episode, more more so than others, felt like a theme park ride. Ah, yeah. But I don't mean that in a bad way. Because, no. you know, uh, Carl Weathers directed this episode, and I think he did a beautiful do- job directing a side mission episode. Yeah, it was action-packed. Like, it was action-packed. It carried the plot, you know, but it, it was necessary. Like, you know, we knew his ship was damaged. Let's go to Navarro, meet Let's back up with it. our people. Let's fix the ship. Hey, we need your help. This is what we're doing. Yep. You get some good baby Yoda moments. You know, the comedic use that Carl Weathers did with the puppet was beautiful. The start the starting sequence where baby Yoda's in the ship like trying to repair things. Funny, funny scene. Um, the, the interactions of him when he's flying in the ship uh when which when Mando's shooting stuff down where he has his hand in like a roller coaster. That was great him taking the macaroons with the force. That was great. A lot of just great stuff with Baby Yoda. I also liked, was there Snoke referenced in that little, in that container? Or was that like the Emperor's clone? Like, see, like, that. that's definitely. That yeah. Outer Rim talk. Mm-hmm. No, oh, yeah. The, the Outer Rim talk is, is usual. Like, that was, had, had more to do with, like, the, the Rebel pilot or, I guess, Republic pilot who came in and was, like, you know, trying to get the lowdown. Uh we want to, you know, secure the outer rim more. Like you guys need to help us, and they're like, "You guys Man. can't do shit." Yeah. And um, but yeah, with the Snoke reference, I don't necessarily know if it was a Snoke reference, but I feel like with what we know about the sequel trilogy and seeing what like what they're trying to do with the midichlorians of Baby Yoda, and like what what I more so think is happening is that Gut Moff Gideon is obsessed with the Jedi. Yeah. He wants to find a way to become Force sensitive. Like that's what that that's what I feel like that is leading up to, and him acquiring the dark saber is like okay, well I don't know how to make a lightsaber, so I'm gonna take this one. Yeah, he's um, gonna get he's gonna put midichlorians in him. It's either that or they're trying to use Baby Yoda's midichlorians to clone for 
whoever, or they're trying to make mm-hmm. that type. Or they're trying to make the emperor. Yeah, one of one of the two. Um, so I don't really want to harp too much on like the little mission, but you know, bringing back that blue guy, the mithril, I thought yeah, was funny was cool. and it worked. And like he had some good lines, like you know, the guardrail thing when he's, you know, uh, slicing stuff. I definitely thought, I would definitely would have fell off. Also, we see the Death Troopers, which I know you're excited Maybe. about. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. You know, that's the, that's part of the idea, you know, the Dark Trooper concept. Uh, it's been big in the games, like, you know, there's a computer game that had them, and for a lot of people who are wondering what that is, really, it's not a human, it's like a, it's like the, the battle droids from the Clone Wars, but modified and very hard to, uh, for Jedi to fight. Yeah, that was like the whole deal about the Dark Troopers in the past and in the Legends. So, like, I feel like that could also be a part of what they're doing with the Baby Yoda is like, you know, withstanding against Force sensitive users. Um, so like that's all things that were being considered into this episode. Uh, yeah, this the one was just thing, like the pit stop. This was like a gas tank fill up. Pretty much, and at. I loved the end where he's fighting in the ship. I thought that was done very well. The little canyon thing again was what I felt like felt like a roller coaster, roller coaster. side mission. Yep. And some people, some people that I've been listening to, said that it felt like a Star Tours ride. Yeah. Um, which is fine, and I, I don't think that that's a bad thing. No, I don't it's think not. That that's a knock on the Mandalorian or what Carl Weathers did in this episode. I think you know. Obviously, I feel like Bryce Dallas Howard's episode is second to Favreau's. I would put Carl Weathers under that, but it's not knocking him at all because only we've only had four. Yeah. You know, and Filoni's episode is going to be great, but we'll see what happens with the rest of them. I feel like we've had a really solid start. No, we definitely have. 1,000%. The hype leading into this one, Filoni got a lot to live up to, baby, Friday. We yeah. got, yeah. huh, well, better be an hour. 52. It an hour. It's, f- okay. it's 58 minutes. It's yeah. Been, it's been said. True. All right, yeah, I need, um, I need it. I need it. The one thing I'll say about this episode before we go into speculating episode five, um, they had that Game of Thrones Starbucks cup flub with the the hallway guy. Yeah, oh, pretty man. crazy. That was that was wild, and you can see it clear as day. Yeah, um, <laughs> the, and the other little side thing that if you have to look in the background to see is that they in Navarro they have a statue dedicated to IG Eleven. Oh yeah, yeah, pretty cool. yeah, yeah, knew that. All right, Ahsoka, what's up? I think she's going to fight Moff Gideon. Yeah, and now that we know he, that Moff Gideon has the tracker on the Mandalorian, so we know that he's going to whoop his ass. I, yeah, I don't think he's, she's going to kill him, mainly because like, I don't really feel like she's ever been a killer. Um, but I feel like he's going to have to relieve with his tail tucked in between his legs, pretty much. And then I feel like Jin's going to Jin's gonna fight him, get the Darksaber, and that's going to be his new weapon. You don't think he's going to get it? No, I feel like this is like the battle before the the battle because it's like in the middle of the sea. The season. oh no, I don't think he's gonna get it right now. I'm saying he's gonna get it at the end of the eventually. Season. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, I I feel like eventually he's gonna have to be the one to earn that more so than Ahsoka getting it for him. Like yeah. I don't want Ahsoka to be like I don't want to. What's the one I'm most worried about this episode is I don't want Ahsoka to overtake the show. Like that's one thing that even when you're watching Rebels, that Ahsoka kind of steals the screen time. It's oh, not she's def- that's definitely going to happen. Especially Let's, since Filoni's writing it and he's about to well, go I mean, like, hand. Will she be on screen a lot? Yes, but I'm saying like this show is the Mandalorian. Like we want to make sure that 
he's he gonna be, is he's gonna guy. be a side character in episode five in episode five that's fine like for one episode but i'm saying like you know moving forward and you know what do is he gonna do gonna is he gonna leave six? a child there i feel like it all depends on like what happens to that moth getting thing like maybe she has maybe she like it gives herself in exchange for baby Yoda. Mm. You know, maybe she, you know, to, to give her like, and that gives, gives us maybe another episode with her, just her, where she's like in infiltrating the empire mm. kind of deal, like slicing people up. So like, that's one thing I'm thinking about. Um, I'm thinking that I don't think she comes with them. That's that's where I, like I'm really hard like I really just don't understand like what we're trying to do at this point because it's season two, we know there's gonna be season three, without the child like what really is the show like is that like what we're leading leading to at this point like are we leading to like a pass off of the child? That's what I'm feeling, and, and I feel like that's what we're that's what we are leading to. But like if so, then like we need to dial in that we are having a Rosario Dawson Ahsoka series. And that's why I think she's going to be taken over, like you said, like with Rebels, because it's going to be like, all right, if you liked her in this, well, her and Baby Yoda are having their own show. So if you want to see all that cuteness, ladies, go to Ahsoka. Yeah, and that's why I'm wondering, like, what happens with Bo-Katan and Sasha Banks' character, because, like, I thought that that was the next direction for the Mandalorian. So hearing that Sasha Banks isn't coming back, I'm like, okay, well, like, what is he supposed to do now? That's why I don't know if I believe her, because I feel like that is the next path for him of going restore Mandalore, getting the dark saber, doing that whole G that whole thing. Yeah. So, but, but this, solid this episode. is going to, yeah, it's going to, this was a solid episode and what is coming on Friday is going to be especially good. Yeah, no, 100%. All right, let's talk Nick cartoons versus cartoon network. I feel like this isn't debatable. Cartoon network definitely had the better cartoons. Am I crazy? No, Am I crazy? crazy? People were arguing that Nick was better. I said, if you include live action, then yes, Nick is equal to Cartoon Network, if not better. But there's no way that if you're talking just cartoons, Nick beats Cartoon Network. You have Looney Tunes, Scooby-Doo, Fred Flintstone, Tom and Jerry, Jetsons, uh, Pup Named Scooby-Doo. Uh, and this is just the old school shit. And then you have all the superhero shit from Static Shock, Batman, Batman See- Beyond. Teen now, Titans, what I, what I want to argue for with like this is that I want to look at just the Nickelodeon properties with just the Cartoon Network properties, like because like Cartoon Network owns some IP, which helped them. Like, yeah. You know, with with that, you you get the superhero shows and, and all that. But you Teen Titans is a Cartoon Network OG original. Star Wars, Clone Wars. Like Teen Titans is a Cartoon Network. That's the only place it played. Young Justice, same thing. Now, you don't have to count uh, Static and Batman, the animated series. I'm cool with that. They're, yeah. Because those They're are WB. like WB. But Teen Titans, the anime version one, and Young Justice are two cartoons that, that count for Cartoon Network. Uh, yeah. Well, the only reason I'm like saying that is because like, you know, when you're comparing Nickelodeon, Nickelodeon doesn't have any IP that can hold up to no, that's true. superhero. So like, that's where I'm, you know. I'm, well, they did do Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for a little bit. They have Avatar, which Avatar is, but Avatar is their sole creation. Like that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like you know, but that's why Batman I say the Teen animated Titans. series wasn't you know the sole no. creation of Cartoon Network. You know what I'm saying? But Teen Titans is though. 
but like where I think like where Nickelodeon gets the pushback is that they have like some really really iconic shows like SpongeBob, you know, last hundred you know twenty years. Um, you know, the Rugrats was really huge for people's childhood, and even like doing the the all grown up series, like a lot of people really bought in. Fairly Odd Parents is a is you know a central show for a lot of people growing up. But then you then, Phantom, I, then, then I hit you with the flip of. Powerpuff Girls, hey uh, Dexter's well, Lab, now, Ed, Ed, and Eddie, Codename Kids Next Door. Now, I mean, like, if we're getting into the real nitty-gritty, like, I honestly think that, what, Danny Phantom is better than Powerpuff Girls. Ooh, but, like, all right, now you got me doing it. Now you got me doing it. I got to pull up their slate. Uh, Samurai Jack. I raise you Samurai Dude, Jack. Samurai Jack. Samurai Jack wins. That's what I'm, well, I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to argue with you that Cartoon Network had the better cartoons. I'm just saying that like Nick does have some spearhead. Oh, no, Nick, Nick has like, some Nick, great cartoons. Nick has some staples that like really pushes them ahead. But like the just the density of all the Cartoon Network stuff. Because like I guess what hindered Nickelodeon a little bit too is that they had it was not only just a cartoon channel; it was the cartoons and live action. That's the thing, and their game shows and live action put it over the edge, like. Mm-hmm. Look, and, bro, you got ben, like, you, you know, got Ben Ten to compete compete with Danny Phantom, well, and and see this is where I, like I, I get to it again, where you know let's say like two thousand four is the marker. I feel like pre two thousand four, you can argue that a lot some of the Nick shows hold a flame to the Cartoon Network, and then like post two thousand four, Cartoon Network owns because anything Ooh. that Nick did. Po- okay, pre two thousand four. Let me tell you what Cartoon Network has: Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, Codename Kids Next Door. Great. Samurai Jack, Ed, Ed, and Eddie, Courage the Cowardly Dog, uh, Powerpuff Girls, Cow and Chicken, Johnny Bravo, and Dexter's Laboratory in Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Which was an adult swim show. And St- Star Wars Clone Wars starts off in 2003. Tarkovsky. Tar- yes, sir. Yeah. So... That's tough. And then you go post-2004, you got Megas XLR, which I think is gas, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends, High High Puffy Yami Yumi, The Lifetime's Juniper Lee, Camp Laszlo, My Gym Partner's a Monkey, Ben 10, Class of 3000, Chowder. uh, Adventure Time. Adventure Time. Generator Rex, Regular Show, Symbiotic Titan, Steven Universe, and Clarence, We Bear Bears, and yeah, now we're to the present. So, like, that's a tough, 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 tough list and, to beat. Yeah, and so, like, the, the pre-stuff I'm talking about is, you know, you had Doug uh, came on Nickelodeon. It was also a Disney property, but it came on Nickelodeon 91, Rugrats, uh, Rocco's Modern Life, even though it, it, I wouldn't say it's the best one. You know, Hey Arnold. Uh, people really like Cat Dog. I didn't like Cat Dog. Rocket Power, Wild Thornberries, as told by Ginger, was really more of the teenage show before we really got into teenage shows. Yeah. Um, Invader Zim, which wasn't necessarily my thing. Fairly Odd Parents debuted in 2001. Chalk Zone, uh, Jimmy Neutron was 2002. All Grown Up was 2003. Uh, Danny Phantom was 04. Avatar was 05. So I'm going to say 05 is the mark. Like, but, bro, when you count the stuff they own, too, Warner Brothers, you got Two Stupid Dogs, Scooby-Doo, The Addams Family, Alvin and the Chipmunks, uh, Animaniacs, Aquaman, uh, Baby Looney Tunes, Barney, 
Uh, not only, and then Batman. of course, Cartoon Network owned all the Toonami properties. So like that's, you know, Cartoon Network just had way more than like Nickelodeon could ever fight up against. Like, yeah, so like when Dragon Ball Z and Naruto in there. Like, yeah, so like what I'm saying is, is like, you know, in this pre-2005, if you had to pick the top five Cartoon Network against the top five Nickelodeon, like what would you get out of that? So I guess right, like- What would you say the top five Nickelodeon are pre-2005? Rugrats, Rocket Power, uh, Fairly Odd Parents, SpongeBob, Avatar and, Dan- Avatar and SpongeBob. All right. And then if you're if you're saying that's pre two thousand five, let me see when Teen Titans are because that's I that is pre two thousand five that I'm using. I think it is. All right, so Teen Titans two thousand three. Okay, cool. So Teen Titans is battling Avatar for me. Ed Ed Nettie, Dexter's Lab, Codename Kids Next Door, Samurai Jack. Yeah, I mean it's just it it's it's just no debate with Cartoon Network, and you know that. You could even like throw four other names in that cartoon. And yeah, you could have said and like Courage, and all I would have Johnny Bravo or Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy too. And all I would have on my end is like I could be like, oh well, you know, Danny Phantom, that was a good one. But then like a lot of it is very very niche. Like there like stuff. There's some stuff in Nickelodeon that people like live and die by. Like let's say like the Angry Beavers or Cat Dog, but I don't like those shows. <laughs> or you know, Invader Zim as well. And I'm where, not a like, big SpongeBob fan, so you know. Where, but then there's like shows that I like think were some of the greatest cartoons that I ever watched that were on Nickelodeon that some people don't like. Like Hey Arnold, I think was one of the greatest cartoons oh, yeah, created. Is. Definitely. Is. Um, you know, I enjoyed the Wild Thornberries, but it wasn't great. Um, as told by Ginger, like I said, I feel like it was a oh, very a good, good show. show for yeah. the times. And um, and then Jimmy Neutron, I would just have a soft spot for it because I was a big fan of the movie and all that. But uh, yeah, you know, and like I said, like post two thousand five, you can't say that Nickelodeon has anything. Any chance? And like Cartoon Network kept going. Yeah, and they kept killing. And Benton's big for them. Big Ten, Benton is is huge. I don't like that they're re- they're bringing it back. Yeah, I don't like. Well, that's the Teen Titans go formula for that, but. Cartoon Network right now is not in a good space, but they don't have any competition, so it doesn't matter. Like, when they had competition, you saw what they put out. When they don't, that's what they put out. So, you know, when, you, when you're winning, you can just do what you want. But, you know, I just wanted to bring that up because that was a big conversation on Twitter. Let's get to our main discussion topic, our top five. We haven't done a list in a while. Our top five directors, and you know, Shuby, I had to cheat the list a little bit. Okay, well, I cheated the list a little bit with my number five. I put two and number five. All right, well, I have a six. I put two and number five as well, and I have a six. So. All right, well, you know, do your six because I don't have a six. All right, my six is tied with two people. I have Spike Lee just for Malcolm X, Black Klansman, Do the Right Thing. Just the way he portrayed black life in movies was just great. He's one of the best filmmakers of all time. To me, I just have issues with the way Spike Lee tells some of his stories when you see things like Chirac and just some of his misses. He could not make the top five list compared to some of these other guys, but I had to say Spike Lee because he is one of the best directors of all time. And then tied with him at six, I have Alfred Hitchcock. Yes, I'm saying some old names, baby. Alfred Hitchcock, what he did with Jimmy Stewart and 
uh, rear window, the way that it's shot from just Jimmy Stewart being inside of his house trying to solve a murder from his room, and we're seeing it all from the angle of him looking through a photo lens. It, an immaculate film. The film with Cary Grant on uh, where Cary Grant plays the cat, the burglar, that was a great film. Vertigo, just Alfred Hitchcock, what he did with Mr. Thriller, Horror, he revolutionized it and without him we wouldn't have some of the things that i love so that's my number six but i'll do number five and then you'll go number five or no you go number five then i'll go yeah all right for my number five i have the two people um and for me i really just tried to look at directors and i was like okay well can i can i have four movies that like i'm really into from them and so my first person in number five is edgar wright we talked about scott pilgrim and how how great a movie that Scott Pilgrim was. You know, I also feel like the Sign and Peg saga movies was also, you know, huge for comedy and pushing it forward. Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and then most recently, Baby Driver. Oh, so, okay. like, Edgar Wright, I feel like is someone, you know, one of the criteria that I had for the list is, like, if I'm seeing a movie coming out with this director, I'm interested in seeing it. And at this moment, from what Edgar Wright has done, in recent times, like in the past decade with Scott Pilgrim and Baby Driver, I want to see an Edgar Wright movie. Um, hey, I'm not mad at that. Now you got me pulling next, up my four movies. For, the, the, the next one for me is Ron Howard. Now, oh, okay. Ron Howard, it's one of those things where like where you're throwing in Alfred Hitchcock. Some of Ron Howard's older movies are movies that are essential to you know being a movie person. You know, Not only do I really joy solo and i thought it was very well done for him to have recovered you know one of my favorite movies ever in the past decade was rush felt like rush was an amazing movie. we've talked about it so many times before i was a big fan of tom hanks and the da vinci code which he which he did i think beautiful mind is a very very good movie with russell crowe some of the movies that he's done in his past also are huge timeless films, whether it's Willow, Apollo 13, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. You know, he has some movies in his past that, um, you know, really kind of hold the test of time. So that's why I have Ron Howard where he is. Like, you know, and I feel like a lot of people are interested in the Hillbilly Elegy mainly because Ron Howard is behind it and Amy Adams. That's true. All right, I'm still in the past again for number five. So I, when you think of, when I think of movies that really just impact, this is where number five comes in because without these two men, everything that we love today would not exist. Star Wars would not exist. Cowboy Bebop would not exist. Trigon would not exist. None of the things that we love and hold dear would exist. The first one I'm saying is Akira Kurosawa. Schubert said about the four movie things, Seven Samurai, which is basically the Magnificent Seven before the Magnificent Seven. Rashomon, Yojimbo. Yojimbo is the story of the the samurai going save people, like to go and save like a a group of people. That that so, like all of that in in some of it's he's also like a smuggler, bounty hunter type thing. That's Star Wars through and through. And then you look at uh either you could either go Hidden Fortress, Throne of Blood, or even Rand, which is one of some some work that got in done in 1985. So Akira Kurosawa, without him you would not have any of the things that we hold dear today. And the next guy that I have tied with him, because I feel like if I mention him, I have to mention 
the counterpart to which I love where samurai films and then on the other side, westerns. And funny enough, this man wasn't an American director. He's an Italian director. Funny enough, the best person to make American western films wasn't American. It was an Italian, Sergio Leone. You look at the good, the bad, the ugly, a fistful of dollars uh, for a few dollars more, the, the dollars trilogy, the man without a name. He put Clint Eastwood on a map. He put the idea of bounty huntering on the map. He put the idea of the Mexican standoff on the map where you see from the good, the bad, the ugly. We see it multiple times in things like Reservoir Dogs. Um, I'm, so we saw it's, it in the Mandalorian. It's a pop culture thing. You it, know? It, 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 it's in everything. It, it, it permeated the zeitgeist. But not only that, you have – those are the three films that people know him for. But when you look at it, Once Upon a Time in the West is the quintessential Western movie that is just freaking amazing that people don't even mention. And then you go – to 1984, where he does it with Robert De Niro in gangster films with Once Upon a Time in America. This man is just one of the best directors. His his uh, scores are always great with his legendary score guy that he always worked with, Ennio Mor- Morricone. Just great, great work. And without him, the Western would not be what it is. And a lot of the stuff that we love would not be where it is. So at number five, I have Akira Kurosawa and Sergio Leone. Now, I promise you now I'm going modern. I just had to right. get my, my, my past people out of the way because I've been watching a lot of old movies. Number four for me is, I'd say, like my biggest blast from the past, which isn't really that, that far in the past, but it's probably the biggest name of all is Spielberg. Ah, so, I, I'm glad you put Spielberg on because I did not. Yeah, for me, Spielberg, you know, whether it starts in the 70s with Jaws, Close Encounters of a Third Kind, two movies that I really, really love. Um, you know, he gets into the Indiana Jones saga, Jurassic Park, um, you know, Saving Private Ryan, Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can. Like, these are all fantastic movies. And even getting into the most recent decade, I was a huge, huge fan of War Horse, um, The Adventures of Tintin. Um, and of course, Ready Player One, one of the more recent ones. So Spielberg again is someone that if I see a Spielberg movie's coming, then it has like sort of a, you know, I don't know how to, the right word to say. But it, when you hear that Spielberg has is a certain a level movie, of gravitas behind, has a certain level pretty, of like carte blanche, like pretty much. Spielberg, when like, you're Spielberg's you know, going, you're going to watch it. You know, it's going to be. You may not think it's going to be like a masterpiece in cinema, but you know it's going to be a blockbuster hit. Yeah, it's going to be a good time, 100%. So. I, I like that pick. I'm glad you put him because Spielberg is one of the goats, and he needed to be on one I didn't of mention E.T. too. E.T. was – I guess he produced that. The next guy, I got to go with just my love of thrillers, and I, I couldn't put Denis Villeneuve on this list because I think it's premature, but – I agree with that. I think it's premature, so I had to go with the guy that just – revolutionized thrillers and just revolutionized crazy storytelling when you get things like seven zodiac fight club gone girl the social network the girl with the dragon tattoo the curious case of the benjamin button in the game i'm talking about the legendary director david fincher what fincher does with the way that he tells a story is incredible the way that he tells a thriller he has you on the edge of your seat constantly the way that he gets work out of his actors they say he's a perfectionist he makes you take a million takes but once you get to that take once you get to that millionth take it's like oh he has it just right he's so particular with his work that he wants everything to be perfect and i think you see it 
in his work with just how great his actors are. Look at Jesse Eisenberg in The Social Network, the way that he was able to just portray this version of Mark Zuckerberg. Look at Jake Gyllenhaal at the depths of how he just got super, super dark in Zodiac and the way Robert Downey Jr. got dark in Zodiac. Look at Ben Affleck in Gone Girl and the way that it took him, but more so Rosamund Pike in Gone Girl, the way that she acted and, and just was this normal this uh, this normal wife who just went crazy at the end. It, it took so much. Same thing with uh, Ed Norton and Brad Pitt in Fight Club, and more specifically, Brad Pitt in Seven and uh, Kevin Spacey in Seven. So David Fincher, when it comes to just thriller, mystery, and just great acting, he pulls it all out of his toolbox, and he's just a fantastic storyteller that's taken it to TV now. When I hear anything David Fincher's coming out, I have to watch immediately. Yeah, David Fincher is a good one. I don't have him on mine mainly because I haven't seen all enough of his work for me to like say, you know, talk on it. Um, but, you know, right now we, we do have an abundance of actors or great directors. So putting it into the list that we have is pretty hard as, as it is. Um, for me at three, I have the Coen brothers. Nice. They didn't make my list either. <laughs> They're great so, though. For me, the Coen brothers, Raising Arizona, Fargo, The Big Lebowski, Oh Brother, Where, Out, Where Art Thou? One of my favorite movies ever, Burn After Reading, No Country for Old Men, True Grit. No Country for Old Men is amazing. Um, you know, the Coen brothers, they have their own kind of certain style that gets you excited to see their movies. No, 100%. So, you know, I feel like they're the most, well, you know, I guess the other two guys are pretty stylistic themselves, but this is my more stylistic director. My next director is the guy who, who brought back the feel of old cinema, who reinvented just what it means to go to the movie and have a thrilling time. He's so particular about how his films look. He's so particular about the message that his films carry. And I'm talking about the legendary, because whereas I feel it's too early for Denis Villeneuve, it's not too early for this legend, and he has to be at number three. To put him over Sergio Leone, Akira Kurosawa, Spike Lee, Alfred Hitchcock, and David Fincher just shows how much this, this man's films have impacted me and just shows how great I think he is as a filmmaker. I'm talking about the legendary Christopher Nolan. When you think of his movies, you think Inception, you had The Dark three? Knight. I got him at three. Inception, The Dark Knight, Interstellar, uh, Dunkirk. And one of his best films that people don't talk about, Memento. When you watch Memento with Guy Pierce, the thriller that he sends you on and the way that he manipulates time is so incredible. And, and the, the, that manipulation of time you see throughout his movies from Tenet to Interstellar to Inception. But I feel like Memento is the beginning of this idea of I can make my movie however I want, not just with space, not wherever I want in terms of I can, can manipulate the space, but I can also manipulate the time to where you don't necessarily know if these events are even happening or when they're happening. So that's why I love Quentin Tarantino. And I mean, I, uh, that's why I love Christopher Nolan and just the way that he gets out of, gets his actors out and makes them work every time from Heath Ledger, rest in peace, Christian Bale, uh, Guy Pierce, uh, Killian Murphy, uh, Matthew McConaughey, Leonardo DiCaprio, and most recently, Robert Pattinson and John David Washington. Yeah, it's a punt. So we'll talk, I'll talk about him later. I had, to, um, I had to put him at three. For 
and it's very very easy to figure out where I put put him because at number two I'm talking Tarantino. Ah, that's a punt. That's a bad punt. Yeah, so Tarantino, I know you're going to go into it a little bit more, but pretty self-explanatory. I mean, he's someone that we've talked about a lot on this podcast and on Run It Back. You know, Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, uh, Glorious Bastards, Django Unchained, Kill Bill, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Hateful Eight. You know, I think what makes him such a essential director is that he has that movie limit. You know, just that he has like a limit to the amount of films that he wants to direct is kind of like saying that each film matters. So like, that's where, you know, with some of the directors that we can talk about, they have like some movies that are almost throwaways. There really aren't a lot of throwaways when it comes to Tarantino because everything is so dialed in. Yeah. So, I mean, that's why, why I have him at two. No, look, I feel you. And maybe I'll jump into that. Maybe I won't. We'll find out at one, but at number two, I got Marty, man. I got old man Marty. I got Marty Scorsese. I would be remiss not to put Martin Scorsese on my list. You look at films like Goodfellas, which we reviewed on Run It Back, Taxi Driver, The Wolf of Wall Street, The Departed, Casino, Raging Bull, The Irishman, Shutter Island, Mean Streets, Gangs of New York, The Kings of Comedy, uh, The King of Comedy, Cape Fear, The Aviator, do you know how many films I just named that are freaking amazing after hours? Like Martin Scorsese, what Martin Scorsese does so well is Martin Scorsese knows how to make a film relatable. That's something that my number one person does very, very well. Martin Scorsese doesn't, when you look at films like with, let's say, Paul Thomas Anderson, Wes Anderson, they try to make their films sound a certain particular way, not for the layman's. And there's nothing wrong for that. There's nothing wrong for with not speaking in layman's speak. There's nothing wrong with speaking in a, a speech that uses intellectually highbrow vocabulary. Whereas Martin Scorsese uses vocabulary that Joe Schmo down the block can understand. And that's what makes his film so relatable. You see people talking in there and you're like, Oh, those conversations matter. But then what Martin Scorsese does so well is I'm not going to tell the story of a good guy. No, I'm going to tell the story of a complicated person to damn near shitty human being, make you not only relate to them, make you feel sorry for them, root for them, and then feel disgusted at yourself that you rooted for a character like that. Look at uh, Taxi Driver with Robert De Niro playing uh, Travis Bickle. I think that's his name. Yeah, Travis Bickle. Dude's a fucking maniac. Look at the look at Goodfellas, Henry Hill and all of those dudes. They're fucking gangsters. Wolf of Wall Street. Everybody wants to be Jordan Belford, but doesn't realize that Jordan Belford's addicted to coke, the ludes, benzos and all other fucking drugs. He he cheated on his wife, left his kids, cheated on his second wife, left his kids, and is bankrupt and had to go to jail, but motherfuckers want to be like him. That's because cheating people out of their money. That as well. and But that's because Martin Scorsese makes the film commendable and makes it so relatable and makes it so just, it, it makes it just so like, damn, I want to be them. And, and you you see yourselves in the, in the feet of these evil people and he shows that their stories are compelling. I can even go with The Departed. The Departed gives you a look at three people and it discusses the ideology, the ideal, um, the, 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 the
Yeah, the philosophies, philosophy, the philosophies yeah. of three different individual characters that are all pretty shitty people criminals. That, that think they're doing the right thing. The main one is the outright criminal, uh, Jack Nicholson. Then you have the undercover criminal for that works for the State Department and Matt Damon. And then you have the guy who's a undercover cop that's a criminal for Jack Nicholson that's slowly starting to turn to a criminal. But does he maintain his morality of being a cop? Can Matt is Matt Damon's morality about is it loyalty or is it about oneself? And that's the same yeah. thing that Jack Nicholson's played with. And that's what Martin Scorsese does so well. And I just want to mention one more film. Or actually, I want to mention two more films by him just because it's that. But I'm gonna choose my I'm gonna just mention these films by him real quick because they're that important. Mean Streets. Mean Streets is a film that I love and can watch time and time again. I wouldn't put it on Run It Back because I don't know if y'all would enjoy it. But what Mean Street does is it puts you in the foot of Robert De Niro, who is the friend of someone who is associated with the mafia or maybe works for the mafia. He's just someone that's important in Harvey Keitel. And you see their relationships of him being the slacker friend and you see Harvey Keitel as being the someone in position of power. And it's how do they deal with each other and can they coexist while both trying to do criminal aspirations? It's such a good film. And then Kings of Comedy, which which is the influence to Joker, shows a man that's going mad that convinces himself that a world that he has created in his head is real and when he when he when he realizes it's not he goes crazy absolutely amazing what martin scorsese does he's a legend he's someone who inspires me and he had to be number two on my list sorry i went so long shoot i just like i was just like i was so passionate about marty because like when i looked at his his movies it's like yo this dude is this dude is amazing yeah i mean I haven't, I've missed out on a lot of those or like for some of them, it's been a while. Um, I don't know. And one criteria that I have, and that kind of goes into like what I was talking about with Tarantino and then, you know, talking about Nolan here at number one is right now I'm really into the idea of compacted films where I can't spot the miss. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And as even it goes the same with the Coen brothers, like they, Granted, they do have some iffy ones. That's why they're three. But, like, you know, going into, you know, the year 2000 with Nolan, I mean, it's Memento, Insomnia, which I don't know much about Insomnia, but then Batman Begins, Prestige, Dark Knight, Inception, Dark Knight Rises, Interstellar, Dunkirk, Tenet. I mean, it's like... Only when you see Mrs. Dunkirk. That's the only one I'd say. And even then, it's, it's not a miss to people. Oscar-nominated film. <clears throat> so, I mean, it's just like... It, it it's just at this point, like I feel like Christopher Nolan is on the hot streak, oh, for per se. Sure. So it's like one of these things where, like, you know, as making a top directors of the moment is where I feel like I'm at with this list because he's the top director at the moment. He's the, the the bell of the ball. Where like I feel like Scorsese and even Spielberg, they had their moment of being the bell of the ball, and now they're kind of like in the second half the twilight yeah of, like the twilight yeah definitely the twilight the, of their careers yeah so that's where i stand with like where i what i have at the moment and of course we mentioned tarantino and tarantino is going to be at, on his way out pretty soon yeah but, so you know that that's that with him my number one 
I went with Antoine Fuqua. No, no, I'm just playing. I'm just, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Of course, I went with Tarantino. Tarantino, what, can, what more can I say about this man? This man is a, is a, a legend among legends. Like what he has done for creativity in movies and just original movies is amazing. Each story individually is its own thing, but each story still feels related to the other in some way. Well, in some ways they're in the same universe. Exactly. And each story takes reference from some of the best things and pays homage to some of the best things. See, Tarantino, I mean, Tarantino's not afraid to say, hey, I like this person movie. I'm going to pay homage to it. Hey, Sergio Leone, you meant a lot to me in my childhood. Thank you. This is what it. This is what I interpreted it as. Or Akira Kurosawa, you meant this much to me. This is what I interpreted it as with Kill Bill. Or just each, each. I could go down the list and list. And when you look at his movies, what they do is phenomenal. And I think you make a good point about his ten films. I wouldn't be upset if he did more films, me personally. But I get it, him being fine, uh, finite. But I think that's in terms of directing. I think we will see him continue to write films for other people that he trusts. And that's a very interesting point because I've watched two two movies recently that he wrote, but one was with a person he trusted, one was with a person he didn't. Natural Born Killers, Oliver Stone, he did not trust him and he did not like how that film turned out. But if you watch Natural Born Killers, you still feel at its core, it's a Tarantino film. Yes, it's an Oliver, but it's definitely an Oliver Stone film because he transformed it, but the writing is still there. With True Romance, that's a Tarantino film through and through, but it still has some Tony Gilroy, uh, no, Tony Scott, Ridley Scott's brother. It still has some Tony Scott flavors to it. And I think that's what makes Tarantino so great, his writing, his dialogue. If, If what I said about Martin Scorsese about capturing layman's voice, then Tarantino not only captures layman, layman's terms, but he captures the cool layman. He captures the hip things that people are saying at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think that I'm really curious about what we're going to see out of Tarantino First in the future. Film. Because, well, I mean, because like the, they're saying that they're going to do a Kill Bill 3. I don't think so. I don't know if that counts as that, or if he's not going to be the director for that. If he's just writing it, I don't think we're getting Kill Bill three. I think we're getting some completely original. But I think we're going to get that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood TV show first, where it's uh, about the cowboy, and I don't think that counts. Where it's about uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character. That's kind of where I'm leaning to. Is like you know he wrote episodes for the Dust Till Dawn series. I mean he's he, he. he He's done with, work uh, in television with CSI and ER. Once Upon a Time in um, Mexico, the Robert Rodriguez film with Antonio Banderas that is basically you know, the version of Sergio Leone's Man I mean, you, No Name. You mentioned Robert Rodriguez. I feel like in a lot of ways that they're going to do a lot of team up. I mean, they, they yeah. did stuff with Brian House and they did uh, uh, From Dust Till Dawn, the film, which is probably my favorite Tarantino strictly written. And I could see him working with uh, Eli Roth. Uh, Me like they, they've worked before too so I mean you you can go into film after film uh, like what he did with Inglorious Bastards by using language because he's a dialogue writer and using language in not only German Italian but still making it feel like I understand everything that's going on with that film it's spies trying to give convince other spies that their lies are real Django is about a black man taking back his power 
from the system that took it, that took away his whole freedom, his everything, and now it's taking away his love. You took away his dignity. You took away his freedom. You took away everything that's dear to him. And you, the last thing that he was able to maintain in this place, you took it away from him again. And this is about his revenge, getting it back. Pulp Fiction is a collection of stories that we could get into. And then you, it just goes on and on. Quentin Tarantino is so special. And I don't think we'll ever see another director like him. And what he has done to me is just deserving of the best director ever, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I can't argue too much about that. You know, he was sitting at number two for me. The only thing that I had as a knock was that he is limited. Like, is that he's a he's a time in history more so than a director that's here to stay. Yeah, that's why I'm hoping for his writing continues, you know. Yeah, for sure. That's all. Or I that think. he makes a move to television. Yeah, because like TV, that I would TV love that. The like, time. like Fincher's like, yeah, doing that. Is, like, this is uh, the time for TV now. So that's I mean, what like, Fincher's doing. And, and if we can keep him doing TV, then fuck yeah. I mean, like if he could establish himself with a streaming service that would give him the liberty to do what he wants. To to me, that's either HBO or Amazon. That would give us the most quality product, yes. But I mean, you know, Fincher did Netflix, but I feel like that true. was before all of all this stuff, stuff came was, about. That's true. You know, maybe HBO Max locks him down for to do something for a series for HBO, but we'll see. Well, yeah, Apple we, TV, I think, is not is not out of the realm of possibility either. Because that mean, like, as well, they got the money to do it too. They got the money, and it would be their their big marquee. Like they could. That could be the drawing factor to Apple TV. That would be huge. I would, like, I already pay for Apple TV, but I would not cancel my subscription <laughs> ever just to watch the Tarantino shows. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think that's one of those up-and-coming ones out there. So that could be that. But we'll 1, see. 1,000. But all right, let's say our list again. Schubert, you go ahead. Get yeah, your list. it was five ahead, Ron Howard, Edgar Wright. At four was Steven Spielberg. Three was the Cohen brothers. And two was Tarantino with one being Christopher Nolan. Like I said, Schubert, no, I cheated like I always do. Six is Spike Lee and Alfred Hitchcock. Five is Sergio Leone and Akira Kurosawa. Four, David Fincher. Three, Christopher Nolan. Two, Marty Scorsese. And one, the legendary Quentin Tarantino. Great episode this week, man. I'm so happy we got to do a top list again. We haven't done one of these in a while. Yeah, we haven't done one in a while. And we thought that we weren't going to have a lot to talk about this week, which is why we put it in originally. But I'm glad that we did end up having a lot of really good stuff in the news, like full of, you know, having that full deal for Bullet Train, I feel like is really exciting. Um, you know, we not only doing the Fresh Prince, but Animaniacs and Mando. Mm -hmm. Just a lot going on right now, which is good because we need the distractions while we have no new movies for real. And we got a good distraction for him next week. We do. The championship match. All right, we had to, like, look. It's a big episode. Charles couldn't compete, so I had to go forward. Charles will be back next year in the league. Don't worry. But it's going to be me versus Jace Madison. Jake Madison has to beat me twice. Jake Madison has to beat me twice. Can I, can I, talk my, can I do my promo video right now? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, you don't have any other time. Just to get people excited. All right. That was Lyndon, the host 
the nice guy, the humble guy. This is Lyndon, the competitor. Jake Madison, you may be a screenwriter. You may be someone that works for a big movie company. You may have a hot Pelicans podcast, so therefore your sports knowledge is good. Your comic book knowledge is good. But I'm right there with you, Jake. I am the underdog in this fight. And God damn it, I'm the best damn underdog there could possibly be. Jake Madison, basketball, we're even, buddy. We're even. I don't give you the nod in that. Football, I got you. I got you. And I know Schubert's not putting a baseball question in there. There is so a baseball I got question you. in there. I got you. Anime, there's no way on God's green earth that you have me, Jake Madison. Look in the camera. Look in the camera. There's no way on God's green earth that you will beat me in an anime question. Not the anime talk God. Not the anime talk man. Not the man that seems over 100 anime. No, Jake Madison, no way. No way. I attribute myself as the anime king but you know what else i'm a king of jake madison do you know what else i am a king of jake madison dc mother bleeping comics jake yeah you may help write but i know did you read the golden age did you read the silver age did you read the 90s the 2000s, the new 52, Rebirth. Did you read it? Did you read Vertigo? I don't know. I did. I don't know if you did. I did. Marvel, you may have me. I concede that. But when it comes to the things I'm strong at, I'm better than you. But yet I'm the underdog. Because you're a screenwriter. You should beat me. But if I beat you, which I will do come next Wednesday when the people hear this, and I will wear the belt across my shirt, I will say thank you for the opportunity of giving me my first win. Jake Madison, you will lose, and I will see you next year. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Tune in next Wednesday because that will be the birth of young boy Donowitz as the new pitcher champion. And I go down as a legend. That's what that is. The dynasty begins on Wednesday. Tune in, jump on the bandwagon because we're taking prisoners and we're cutting off heads. We take you as a prisoner and then we cut off your head and throw you to the cows to become manure and feed for them. We take you to the prison, cut off your head, grind you up, feed you to the cows, you become manure for new life to grow. And that new life is the light that shines on the future Pitch It champion. Thank you. Tune in to watch the ass whooping of a century. That's all I got, Schubert. That's all I got. Yeah, you, Back to Hope. You, you lost me there at the end, but um, I, I, one thing, I, I find it hard to that you can be considered an underdog when you're the in the winner's bracket. 
I'm the underdog, baby. Dude works for a certain yeah, movie company. T- tell, you, tell, yourself, tell yourself that. That's what the people saying, man. Who's saying? That's what the people are saying. That's what the, the fans are saying. The supporters, the family, the, the, the pack. The pack is strong, baby. Long live and prosper. We are the pack, the foundation. Yo, put it up. Put it up. If you know what it is, put it up. This is our symbol. Oh, speed on your chest. We're coming for you. Wednesday, I'll have the belt across my chest. All right, Schubert, let me be a host again. You're just out of All personality. Right. All right, man. Yeah, they, they got a lot to look forward next week. Yeah, I mean, not only do you have that pitch and match, but, you know, the big one-hour-long Mandalorian Ahsoka episode, you know, all been coming down to this. Yeah. So that that's going to be big. You know, nothing else other than those two and, and just the news. Like, that's all we got for you because it's going to be plenty. And, um, you know, it's going to be a fun week for sure. Yes, sir. You guys can follow me at LimbyWT. Follow Bros Who Think at Bros Who Think. Be sure to check out all the content out on the Bros Who Think Network. We got the Run It Back special, Super Bad, where Schubert, myself, and Ian Hawley, the editor at the Bros Who Think Network, review the Judd Apatow, Seth Rogen classic, Super Bad. That was one of my favorite episodes ever, recording podcasts with this human next to me. It was such a good time. If you enjoy that movie, definitely check that out. Be sure to check out the latest episode of Anime Talk and the Bros Who Think podcast. You can find all of that on YouTube. All of the audio, all of the podcasts are out now on Spotify, Apple, and wherever you listen to podcasts. But Run It Back is exclusively on YouTube. And if you enjoy it, make sure you subscribe. Yeah, running back was fun to do. Super bad is an all time great. Uh, we'll see what we do next when it comes to running back. But I mean, we've covered some some pretty great films so far. You know, we did you know Lyndon Scorsese. You know, so go back and listen to that Goodfellas, Goodfellas. one. Yep. Uh, we've done a Tarantino. We did Pulp Fiction. Um, we've done an Edgar Wright with Scott Pilgrim yep. and you know now mixing in the super bad with a little comedy we're going to see what we do next but we've been hitting some good good movies so far yes sir all these hey, movies and, and are also, running backable if you, if you like anime too you know we've done some pretty good, good stuff on the anime yes, we have. movies as well i mean you know we got i've a, only we been got on a major one coming Bebop next one but no we've done some great ones we did the cowboy bebop movie We've done the legendary Miyazaki movie, Howl's Moving Castle. We've done the the instant classic, Your Name. We've done the trash, uh, the joke, run it back, of the Dragon Ball Z Fusion Reborn movie, which was trash. But the next anime run it back is a, is a hitter. It's a legendary film. We're doing Akira, man. It's, it's going to be oh, dope. There you go. Yeah, it's going to be lit. Me and Chris are tackling Akira. And it's going to be absolutely nuts. Well, everyone, make sure you go and check out the previous running backs, uh, previous episodes of this show, The Bros Who Think, Anime Talk, you know, everything out that's on the network. And be sure to tune in with us next week for a big pitch it match and more Mando. So for Lennon Burton, my name's Adam Schubert. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at ashubert14. I hope everyone has a great Thanksgiving today and has, you know, finds a way to communicate with your families, whether you're able to see them or you have to zoom them or call them, but you know, we're getting through the times and we're getting soon to where we'll be able to have some more movies to talk about. So 
everyone have a great week. And as always, keep binging.